Oh man, I, you're finally coming around, man. You're finally, you know, we we listened to the first or we watched the first three weeks of Nitro, and here you are. You're ready for the Great American Bash. I'm so excited. El Gato's on this pay per view, Dirty Dog. El Gato has nothing on Jose Lothario, Beverly Hills. Yeah, but I mean, you know, amongst others, right? You're, you're excited to see everybody. I'm most excited to see Razor Ramon and Big Daddy Cool Diesel. Sure, I mean, you, that's kind of what's been holding you on, right? Like, that's why you seem to be watching week to week. You know, that's that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Um, You know, but... I, I gotta ask, you know, you're you're here, but you know, you never you never been over to to watch a, a pay per view. I mean, do you do you work for WCW or do you work for like the WWF fans? Do you work for the WWF fans? No. Well, then I don't understand why you're here. What are you doing? Oh, oh! He punched you right in the face. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> The boys are about to podcast. Hey, dirty dog, I hear you calling. I think it's time for the show. The sleep hold has got me confused, but maybe here we go. Mr. Hills and the dog from Maine, Event Status Radio. They're recording again. Aha. Bagels and biceps all over my screen. What are we supposed to do? Recorded live from Baltimore, Maryland. Recorded live from the Baltimore Arena. We are... The Twisted Steel and Sex Appeal. Your parents warned you about daddy-o's and daddyettes. This is Made Event Status Radio. I am the Dirty Dog Darcy. Joining me is my broadcast partner, Mr. Beverly Hills 90210. Beverly, why are we in Baltimore? <laughs> Man, we're here for the Great American Bash, dog. I'm so excited to bash it up in Baltimore. <laughs> Sweet. I am too. This is this is rocking and rolling. This is a good one too. I'm excited to talk about it. I am excited to talk about it too. I'm excited for some of the matches we'll be reviewing here later on. I'm excited about to talk about some of the interview segments too. I'm just excited to uh, do this thing on the internet waves. Yeah, I would say that this is like overall just a very notable pay per view. Like it has some good matches. It has some really big kind of like. Uh, happenings if you will too so it's uh yeah like i said kind of a, a very notable um pay-per-view so the date for the great american bash 1996 happened on sunday june 16th 1996 in baltimore maryland at the baltimore arena and according to my source the attendance was 9,000 people mr beverly hills sounds good okay you want me to talk about the baltimore arena yes please as i've been doing so the Baltimore Arena, known now as the Royal Farms Arena, <laughs> but <laughs> in between known as the First Mariner Arena, but at the time, just Baltimore Arena, 
one the oldest so far of all the arenas that we've talked about, built in 1962. Wow, impressive. But still rocking and rolling. Still is standing today. This arena is definitely the most historic in terms of wrestling here. We've it held every great American bash out between 1989 and 2000 outside of 97 and 92. And they didn't have any 93, 94. So almost all of them. It held some, it held a Bruno San Martino title match back in the old, old day. Oh, did it? Yeah. And then since WCW is closed, I mean, it held the 1994 King of the Ring. It held no, uh, no Mercy in 03, No Way Out in 06, Backlash in 08, Extreme Rules in 2010, and TLC in 2011. So a, so a very impressive arena for wrestling. Uh, you know, and amongst many Raws, Nitros, everything else, too. It You know, Baltimore was always kind of seen as like the, the top anchor of WCW of Jim Crocker Promotions before that, um, it would be kind of the the most north they would go on the Eastern Seaboard. So the Baltimore Arena was always a very important uh, place, and it's always been a a good crowd for wrestling. Uh, in addition to wrestling, though, you know, I always like to talk about the teams that have called these arenas home because so far we've been in just kind of like these minor league cities, so. Sorry, Baltimore, you're not a minor league city, but you re- you never had an NBA too well. Maybe we'll talk about it. Here are the teams that have called the Baltimore Arena home. The Baltimore Banners. <laughs> what a name. Which was a tennis team. Wait, there's a, there's tennis teams? There, there was a tennis. Yeah, it comes back every once in a while, but in the 70s it was kind of popular. It was called World Team Tennis. There was They would get together and they'd play tennis games. Um... Okay, the Baltimore Bullets, which were an NBA team. They moved to Washington. Now they're the Washington Bullets. The Baltimore Blades, which are a hockey team. The Baltimore Claws, which were an uh, ABA basketball team. Uh, The Baltimore Skipjacks, which were a hockey team. The Baltimore Thunder, which played lacrosse. The Baltimore Bay Runners, which was a basketball team. The Baltimore Blast, which is an indoor soccer team. The Baltimore Bandits, which are a hockey team. Two football teams called the Blackbirds and the Mariners. The last hockey team called the Baltimore Clippers. And lastly, probably the one that you're most interested in, the Baltimore Charm a lingerie football league team. <laughs> I can't wait for those ladies to get better with age. Do you know that Summer Ray? she was a lingerie football league quarterback and she was like the MVP of the league before she became a wrestler. I did not know that, but I'm not surprised that that's where they found her. Yeah, well, she's, well she's, she's at least athletic. I feel like a lot of the divas come from the lingerie part, but not so much the football part. True. <laughs> so, yeah, according to my Ruku, as I do every podcast, and I quote, the Giant defends the WCW world title against Lex Luger. Ric Flair and Arn Anderson face Kevin Green and Steve McMichael, unquote. 
I'm excited to talk about these matches and more with you, Beverly Hills. Right on. You too. So let's get into it, man. Why not? So the show opens up with a very, very, very unique show opening that, I guess, reminds me of the old Saturday Night Mid Events openings. I don't know. Sure. Exactly yeah. write down exactly what the, each guy said, so I'm hoping you... I did. Okay. The first starts with Bobby Heenan. What did Bobby say? He's basically just trying to convince us he's not scared of Macho. That's his big thing, is that, you know, he's he's very much trying to get everybody, and I'm sure himself, to believe that he isn't afraid of Macho Man. And wasn't he stuttering a few times, too, during yeah. that? Okay. I, I enjoyed it. Bo- thing. Yeah. Bobby sold that greatly, the saying that he's not scared, but even though he was. So. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, he did do a good job. And, and he said that he's ready to coach yeah, Coach Anderson and Flair, and... Yeah, Savage. He said he didn't take notes. Whatever. Then, then Savage. Savage said Savage, Savage was up next. So what did Savage say? Watch out for these guys. Talking about Mongo and Green. Then Ric Flair goes off about something crazy. It didn't make sense. Do you make any We're sense? We're not taking any prisoners. Then as he Luger is up next, what did Luger have to say? I never back up. I'm the TV champion. I'm one half of the tag team champions. I'm taking my third championship tonight. Then the Giants showed up, and he told Luger not to sh- not to look up a definition. What de- what definition was the Giant talking about, Beverly Hills? Don't look up the definition of Giant in the dictionary. You'll feel it with a choke slam. Then we get a graphic for the bash, and Tony Schiavone welcomes us to the show with a bunch of pyro. Pew, 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 And Tony then kicks it to the plane of our national anthem. My team's ready. Flair and Anderson, the coach is ready. I hope those two pigskin buffoons are ready. And Savage, you think you're going to get your hands on me? You're badly mistaken. You're not going to tear me apart. I'm not worried. I'm not scared. I'm not worried. Yeah. Watch out, man. Coach, my coach, man. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, my God. Great. Four horsemen, watch out for these guys. Oh, yeah. That's right. Savage, come and ring. It's that Freddy Mercury bash, baby. And we're taking no prisoners. Woo. Giant, you've me through tables. You've me in the ring. But you know what? I'm still you're going to find out why. I've already got two titles, and I'm coming after yours. Lex Luger, don't bother looking up the definition of the giant in the dictionary, because you're going to feel it firsthand with the toe slam. Superstars of World Championship Wrestling. Wasn't that Sergeant Craig Pittman that came out with the national flag? Doy Pitbull Pittman has the flag, man. I thought I thought that was him, but I just wanted to double check to make sure well, I didn't say it. <laughs> Fair enough. I know we don't pay. Atten- I know we don't pay attention. <laughs> and after a national anthem played. Tony welcomes us again back to the pay-per-view, and Dusty Rhodes is the color man for the pay-per-view, and we never had Dusty Rhodes on, as a color man on the, on the series so far, or neither on, the, on our podcast. I'm excited, Mr. Beverly Hills, to finally have Dusty Rhodes on the podcast. 
I was so excited to have Dusty Rhodes as the commentator, and I was just as excited to not have Larry Zabisco as the commentator. I know this night for Dusty wasn't really his greatest moments or greatest night as color commentating in my opinion. I thought he was fantastic. But I thought he was a million times better than Larry Zabisco. I thought he was Hands great, down. man. Then Tony and Dusty go over some of the matches that we'll see in the night. And, and Tony Schiavone tells us that Dick Murdoch passed away this mm-hmm. past week. So between the night show we, we just last released and this this podcast, this Great American Bash. So tell us, Beverly Hills, what what you know of Dick Murdoch. Anything? Look him up. Dick Murdoch's a great wrestler. He was awesome. Do you know anything about Dick Murdoch? I know nothing about Dick Murdoch, Beverly Hills, <laughs> other than him beating the 1995 WWF Royal Rumble. Oh, yeah, that's right. He was. Yeah, he was a uh, um, great brawler, really good promo. Uh, Dusty Rhodes, in fact, learned a ton from him. Uh, and they were together as the West Texas Outlaws uh, in the 70s, and they reunited kind of sporadically through the 80s, and they were they were an awesome tag team, Yeah, because weren't they in the AWA for a while? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, because yeah. I thought I remember hearing stories about them, well, especially in Minneapolis when they were in the AWA, that they had a donkey up up in their apartment as a pet and all of that. <laughs> they would be gone for like a, about a week or whatever. They just left their donkey in the apartment <laughs> crapping all over, <laughs> over and all that. Like, man, what a apartment to go and hang out with, with Dusty Rose and Dick Murdoch and their donkey. Oh, my God. That is an amazing story. I heard a story about they were... Uh, in Australia and the promoter there who was Jim Barnett, he really wanted the, um, the guys to dress formally, like very nicely when they were out on the town or whatever. And Dick Murdoch and Dusty Rhodes went out wearing half shirts, like belly shirts and short (laughs) shorts. And he like saw him and caught him and he fired him on the spot and sent him home. That's funny. I can see I can see Dusty Rhodes doing that, and since he was good buddies with Dick Murdoch back in the day, I would believe that story. Yeah, they so. were they were I think kind of just crazy guys backstage. Dusty also, so yeah, so that's the kind of thing there. Um, I can't believe you didn't take this down where they were talking about running down the card. They're saying that the invaders were were coming out or whatever. They're gonna find out about the war. Dusty goes, they have a bullet up their butt, and we're going to put it out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dusty Rhodes, baby. <laughs> yeah, so after he talks about Murdoch, we go to our first match. What's our first match? So this match was announced as there must be a winner match between Fire and Ice, Mr. Beverly Hills' favorite take team of Scott Flash Norton, an ice train, <laughs> taking yep. on the Steiner brothers, Rick and Scotty, the Steiners. <laughs> yes. So I didn't take any notes on their entrances, their attire, so nothing popped out to me. So I, I just thought my my one thing on their entrances, I I don't know, but it appears as if Fire and Ice hate each other. They they don't ever like slap hands. They don't walk by each other. They don't like talk to each other. It looks like they don't get along. At so all. ways to be kind of like if you and I were take team wrestlers. Yeah, right. We'd be more like a story of two brothers. Stand around. And we'd be posing with each other down the aisle. Yes, we would be much more like that. 
So I, I think it would be like more like if I were a um, in a tag team with a certain former uh, roommate of yours who attempted to handcuff me to your couch. Let's not talk about that on the record, Beverly Hills. <laughs> Scott Steiner and I started out the match with a collar and elbow tie-up, and I'll kick it to you for the review. So, to- <laughs> so Tony starts out talking about how Fire Nice formed. I had forgotten how they formed. I guess they had a few matches together and kind of uh, got together in that way that they couldn't beat each other, so they joined up. And uh, Dusty goes, Mortal Kombat, if you will. <laughs> uh, and so Ice trains in, and he's able to knock Scott down, and he starts kind of boogieing and dancing. And uh, Dusty loves how he boogies around. Boogaloo, baby. <laughs> yeah, can, I, can I talk about Scotty and Ice? I did take a note, and I wanted to ask Mr. Beverly Hills. Yeah, sure. Who's bigger, Scotty or Ice? At this time, it's Ice Train, especially in the chest. Um, obviously, eventually it becomes Scott, but yeah, Ice Train's pretty clearly bigger at this point. Because yeah, when it was those two in the, at the start of the match, I was blown away on how huge both guys were, and especially on the fact how much bigger Scott will be a couple years later after this well, pay per view. Right on. I mean, between Scott, Scott Norton, and Ice Train, big dudes, really kind of the rough house. Kind of old school strong man look with the big chest. In the case of Ice Train and Norton, kind of big bellies, but you know that they're strong as hell. Like you, you would never, you would never call Ice at this at least this point. You would never call Ice Train and Norton fat. Like yeah. they're, you can, yeah, they're like you said, they're bigger guys, but you can tell that a lot of it's just muscle mass. Yeah, they're strong as hell. So. um so Scott ducked a ice train leapfrog, but he's met by a big clothesline from him. Uh, Scott's able to come back with two hip tosses on the ice train, which I thought looked good. And uh, Rick runs around and hits Norton on the outside. Ow, ow, and, uh, ow, ow, ow. <laughs> and again in this match, I noticed that Rick is just literally hitting the crap out of everybody. <laughs> when he punches somebody... Or when he throws a suplex, oh my god, he is not thinking about their well-being at all. Okay, well, and, oh, sorry. Since you were talking about Rick, I know, I think you were, we're about to get it, but when Rick and Flash were in the ring together, if those two were actually getting a real fight, who do you think would win? I don't know. I don't care. I don't watch wrestling for real fights. Whatever. Okay. I would just, you know, Since we were just talking about how big Norton and Ice were, I guess I, I just had to mention that just how big yeah Flash is. I guess if if somebody actually pissed him off, yeah, they would be set back straight in a heartbeat. Sure, and this and also to talk about that, Dusty talks about when he was a kid to strengthen himself, he would hit a brick wall, <laughs> and not just with his hand, but he would headbutt said brick wall. That might explain why he has that uh, that. Uh, Splash on his belly. <laughs> and then he's like, Tony, didn't you do that? And Tony's <laughs> like, no, I didn't punch a brick wall. I thought everybody did that to get tougher, Tony. <laughs> Dusty. It's amazing. He's, I wouldn't even have had to like watch the matches at all. And this would have been a win for me because Dusty was so good. Um, <laughs> so 
Scott tried to to jump over Norton at one point, but he turned it into a huge power slam, and uh, Scott's arm was hurt. So we get to we go to work on Scott's arm here. Um, Ice Train comes in. He kind of goes from the the Steiner playbook with a vertical suplex, a headbutt, a belly to belly, um, a huge avalanche on Scott in the corner. Um, but then he gets caught with a, a foot and a belly-to-belly on himself. Okay, yeah, then. Right around this time, I took note that Dusty said, in regards to uh, fire and ice, Get your wank, guys! It's a great milk and bath! <laughs> what? Get your what? Get your wing, guys. It's a great American bash. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I tried to do my Dusty impersonation <laughs> and it's okay. it was worse than tell. Dusty. I just couldn't tell. <laughs> anyway, and yes. Around this point, I just ignored that this match is basically clotheslines and belly-to-belly suplexes, <laughs> and I'm not mad about it. <laughs> I love a good suplex match. You know, yeah, right on this time, too, I, I took note that I got excited when Scotty hit a belly-to-belly to ice. Yeah, yeah, that, just yeah how, that was a little before this. But yeah, yeah, just how impressive that was, and you said that was a little before. Okay, then, I think to kind of catch catch up, uh, uh, Scotty went up top and tried to hit a double axe smash. Okay, then Flash caught him and and words of Tony planted him hard. <laughs> then Dusty goes on and tells us, "I smell a fight. I smell war." He's talked. About, he talks about that a few times. Is that he can feel the fight in the air? I love. I love Dusty. Then I can kick it back <laughs> to you to continue on. Yes. Yeah, so Scott hit a T-bone suplex on Norton. I was like, "Wow, that's another freaking good." Because like. That T-bone suplex is pretty much just like all brute strength because if you've ever seen that, dear listener, you like kind of weirdly kind of grab your opponent's crotch and then grab them with your arm around their neck and just kind of hurt them up. So approach, so, you, yeah. So approach that grab. That's so yeah. You grab one leg and you approach, put your yeah. arm around their their opposing shoulder in, in, a, right. in a sense and try to connect your hands and you know, toss them over. You would never be able to connect your hands. Or tried to. Unless tried if you well, unless if your arm is about six feet long. Or your uh, suplex and horn swaggle. You're correct. Yes. If yeah, yes, if you're suplexing Mikey Wolfrek, you may be able to do it. But outside of that, I'm not sure. Um so yeah, but yeah, Taz does that a lot. Um it was Shelton Benjamin's finisher for a bit. But um yeah, so that was a good one and and uh, yeah, so Norton then, as he comes back, though Scott's gonna gonna jump to him on the outside, um, but he catches him midair, turns it into a power slam, and of course a clothesline. <laughs> At this point, after this outside the ring power slam, things kind of settle down. Fire, nice work on Scott's arm for a bit, and Dusty's talking about how. Uh, they're working on his arm because Scott got hit on the elbow and he got a stinger. And he's like, Tony, you haven't been hit on the elbow, which gave you a stinger. And uh, Tony's like, well, well, no, Dusty, I can't, I can't say I have. And, and Dusty's like, what, Tony? I cannot believe that you never been hit on the elbow. So, <laughs> I just, to, the Tony and Dusty dynamic is great because like, we we've talked before. I think we I've definitely heard podcasts, but I think we've talked before too that Tony doesn't really play along 
with like these kind of silly guys. No, he's just but, more of a straight play by play man. But Dusty is so silly that you he doesn't need to play along. <laughs> that Dusty just is like so on his own that he can just go off. Yeah, he pulls he pulls his weight and Tony's weight yes, for being silly. Ex- yeah, exactly. He has comedy enough for both of them. And he can play off Tony when he's even being straight and he's like, No, no, I've never done that. What Tony? You can't tell me you have never done that. So uh <laughs> so Ice Train, um Hit a tackle and Norton came in with a over the shoulder uh, backbreaker and a shoulder breaker uh, into a couple submissions. Um, Rick Steiner came in and just started kicking Norton and Nick Patrick just ignored it. Whatever. And I'm like, come on, Nick Patrick. Yeah, yeah right when uh, Rick came in, I did take note that Rick came in to try to melt the fire and burn the ice. You don't melt a fire, you extinguish it. Whatever. Don't 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 uh, don't tr- uh, walk all over me, Mister Beverly Hills. Don't hammer me from above the studios, Jack. I tried. <laughs> melt, melt the fire and burn the ice. <laughs> It'd be melt the ice. Melt the fire and burn the no, ice. Going melt, me, no, you don't burn ice. You melt it. <laughs> Have you ever been hit in the elbow, Beverly Hills? Yeah, I have. It hurts. <laughs> anyway, let's go to the match. <laughs> so Rick did eventually go out and he hit a black a blind tag on uh, a Scott, and he's into suplex Norton and a back body to ice train, which I thought looked very impressive. Um, Norton was able to set Rick up for a power bomb, and. Uh, so he powerbombed him, then train splashed him, but Norton just watched while Scott comes in and knocks him off, and I'm like, okay, that's a little, that's a little disappointing. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, thanks for your teamwork, yeah. <laughs> Fire Nice tried for a, a doomsday device, but it's broken up. Uh, Steiners do a bulldog doomsday, doomsday device, but that one, the pin's broken up. Well, then this next part is... It's scary, Mr. Beverly Hills. I know, I know. Here, let me describe it. I wrote, Scott power bombs himself, but they call it a Frankensteiner. Because <laughs> that's pretty much exactly what he did. Because Norton didn't f- do the flip. Because, yeah, it, it looked wrong. Yeah, I'm surprised that Scott didn't get a concussion or injure his spine or anything with that. Yeah, because he just, like, planted and then Norton, like, flipped over. <laughs> So the and with the freaking Steiner they got the victory. So the winners are the Steiner brothers. Yeah, already this match, Mister Beverly Hills, two stars because all four men busted their butts for the pay per view opener, and they tried. You know, I've in fact they tried with a botched Frankensteiner, but you know, hey, I was it was a hot fight, daddy. You like that? I enjoyed the old four men's hard hard work. So I did this match two stars. You know, I do love a Haas fight. I went star in three quarters because I oh. thought that I thought this did not come across well. Uh, it was very sloppy, a lot of poorly executed stuff. Um, they didn't seem to work together very well. So yeah, I'm surprised. I, I, I'm surprised I rated this match higher than you. Yeah, I I hate to say it because I'd love if these guys would have a great match, but this wasn't it. Fair enough. 
And we go backstage with Mean Gene, who's with... It sounds like a giant's farting in your house. Is the sorry, I sorry, listeners. If you guys can hear it through the recording, that I have a the giant, the big show up on top of my roof doing some work, so I apologize. <laughs> we go backstage with me and Jimmy, Jimmy, who's with Jimmy Hart and Kevin Sullivan, which looks yes. like in a locker room. Uh-huh. And me and Jean told Jimmy that Benoit is very angry. It's like Jimmy Hart blew it off. Okay, he any- also says that Jimmy is a Nathan Lane wannabe. <laughs> That's that's funny. Then uh, then yeah, then Sullivan said that the match is balls count anywhere, and he's not leaving beating on Benoit. He's he said he's gonna lay some, he's gonna lay the same thing on Benoit that he laid on Brian Pillman, and I just know he's gonna kiss him like because that's I'm gonna lay one on Benoit just like I laid it on Pillman. Yeah, I hope you like. I hope you like that, Benoit. (laughs) Your wife did. Oh. Anyway, then do you have any other comments before Mean Gene kicks it to Dave Penzer? No. (laughs) The mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, you Nathan Lane wannabe, Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan. Now later tonight, you're going to be facing Chris Benoit. I'm going to talk to you on that subject in a moment. But did you see young Benoit? He's very, very, I would say, angry. You know, Taskmaster, tonight's tonight. We have the WCW Heavyweight Champion of the World of the Dungeon of Doom. You're taking on Chris Benoit. We don't need the four horsemen. We don't need anything or anybody. Oh, wait a minute now. Falls are going to count anywhere, as I understand it. Is that correct, Sullivan? Falls count anywhere in the building, but this isn't it. And anywhere. Jimmy, this is not between the dungeon and the horseman. This is between myself, Ric Flair, and Iron Anderson. You see, I got rid of the last horseman and showed him that Pillman was a quitter. Benoit's no quitter, but he's no horseman. I know what makes a horseman tick. Iron Anderson stuck out his hand. He made a deal, and Iron, this one is for you. When I drag Benoit through this building and I make him suffer, I'm going to lean over and I'm going to lay something on you, Benoit. The same thing I laid on Pillman was a left. And I'm going to show the horseman especially Arn and Rick, that they can count on the Dungeon of Doom. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, very succinct. Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan. Right now, let's get you back up to the ring and David Penzer. Okay. Then we might as well go to the next match, which is for the WCW United States Championship. Al Gato taking on Conan. No? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it is. I'm shaking my head at Al Gato. Okay, then, yeah, again, this WCW US title match, Elgato taking on Conan, Mr. Beverly Hills, who is Elgato? I've been waiting all week to tell you who Elgato is. Elgato is Pat Tanaka. What? Yeah. <laughs> yes, of the Orient Express, of Bad Company. I'm sorry, but the That's Orient is little uh, is very, very different and very, very far away from uh, Mexico. Well, he's not from the Orient either. He's from America. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. Sure, he's. I mean, he's Asian American. I guess like he has 
features of a person of Asian descent, but he's not Asian either. Yeah, from Cabo San Lucas, Mexico, El Gato. Oh, I love that it's Pat Tanaka. <laughs> so, then, yeah, what are, what are your thoughts on El Gato's music, which are like monkey noises? It's like <laughs> it was very generic, indeed. I did not take any it's note like, about it. So. <laughs> But I did, so, I did a little bit of dirty little research, because when Conan came out, uh, Tony claimed that he was carrying the Mexican Heavyweight Championship. Yes. So I tweeted Conan. Okay. Uh, and I asked him what title he he had carrying with him for for this match, and he said he was the AAA America's Heavyweight title. Right, and they made up the name, calling it the Mexican Heavyweight Championship. Yeah, so I, I, well, I did Wikipedia at first just to make sure it was a, that title that I wanted to verify it with Conan on Twitter, yeah. and he replied saying that, yeah, it was the AAA America's Heavyweight title. And I can understand, uh, you know, the play-by-play man saying it was a, pretty much making a generic title, but... Yeah, I, to be honest, I don't like that. I, I don't either, so that's why I did some, some research and... <laughs> Asking around. Yeah, because I think it sounds like it's like total bull. When you're just like, it's the Mexican championship. You know, like be specific. Like tell me what it is. Because they go on, they say like he's working with AAA. So why not tell me what it is? It feels like, I don't know, whatever. It felt like Tony Schiavone pulled a Larry Zabisco and said it was the Mexican heavyweight championship. Why is that a Larry Zabisco? Well, that... I felt like Larry Zabisco would say something like that. And I was trying to do your impersonation of Larry Zabisco. Sorry, only I can do that. Okay, then. So I felt I felt like this match at the start was heck of a lot quicker than the first match, which I appreciated the styles clash from the first match. Beverly Hills, I'll kick it to you. You I, I give can, me a dirty look. I cannot agree with you. In fact, like just because they are smaller does not mean they are quicker. <laughs> uh in fact, that first one was pretty damn quick. They were throwing each other all around the ring just because oh. they weren't doing flips and stuff. Think does of it. not mean they're slower. I had to interrupt you. I did take note on Conan's tights for the for the night. Oh, they're they're quite something. I want to get your thoughts on his pink slash purple fringe tights. There, there was a lot going on. It's yeah. like it seemed like it was just fringe in the front, not so much in the back. <laughs> I don't know. There was there was a lot of fringe. There was a lot happening in Conan's attire. Uh, Gato, on the other hand, was wearing black sweatpants. <laughs> so, and then like a knockoff Tiger Mask mask. Yes, if, I I'm felt surprised like, it didn't get sued by Tiger Mask. I, it felt like that we were having some kind of flashbacks to WCCW, Mister Beverly Hills. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, he was very much like what was the what was the cat guy's name. I know he was from the Isle of Man. Yeah, right. Oh, shoot. I can't remember the cat guy's name. Me either. But we can continue, though, for the match. Okay. So uh, I could barely keep up with this fast-paced action at the beginning. <laughs> um, like such fast-paced moves as Gato doing a standing arm bar. <laughs> and Conan kicking Gato in the back twice. <laughs> I'll just give you shit. It was, Conan's like, I feel, you know, I love Conan. He is wonderful. 
on Lucha Underground as a manager. Um, I feel like he's just doing somersaults here to make it look like he's doing Lucha. He's just, <laughs> he's just kind of somersaulting all around. Just to make it look like he's actually doing something when he isn't. Yeah, I feel like it just... And I mean, it works. It, it looks good. Um, I like the move where he climbs the ropes uh, with the arm and does kind of a big arm drag off the top of the ropes. Yeah, I like I, that move he did that. I call that a nice top rope arm drag. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, yeah. Right on. Um, Conan hit a clothesline for a two count, um, and then he, he works Gato on the mat with an arm bar. Um, Gato, Gato hit a shoulder block, and he tried a cross arm breaker on uh, Conan, which Dusty goes, he's hitting that hurting submission hold. <laughs> um, and I, at this point, I wrote, Gato is gas-owed. <laughs> so tired. He looks so tired. When he <laughs> when he was in that cross arm breaker, he was sucking wind so bad. Those first three or four minutes took it out of him. Real bad. Um Conan tried to go for a Hurricane Rana but got power bombed. Um and Gato, because he is ready to fall asleep, worked a half Nelson and another arm bar. Um Conan did it, it a lot of kind of submissions here. A knee bar, uh Dusty goes, this looks like a spider web. <laughs> oh, Dusty. Uh, let's see. So Conan hit a bulldog um, and and a clothesline out of a roll, out of a forward roll. Um, Gato tried a baseball slide but missed. Conan hit a kind of junky-looking uh, sunset foot powerbomb on the outside. And uh, the crowd chanted, Conan, Conan. And the finish I wrote, Conan with a powerbomb type move and a jackknife pin for the victory. I got from uh, the Wikipedia page that we get a flapjack spine buster. Oh, okay. Well, that's pretty much a a powerbomb. Yeah. Then we get a jackknife pin for the victory. Conan's the winner, are our still in reign and defending WCW United States Champion. In Beverly Hills, I have a feeling I'd probably rate this match a little higher than you like the first match. I rated this match two stars. Oh, what? I wrote this, or I rated this match a star and a half. So I, I feel like you know, at least for, seems like Conan tried to carry the match as best as he could after Elgato got gassed halfway through the match. Yeah, Gato was a poor choice. For the, for this match, uh, I can't believe they couldn't have gotten somebody better for a U.S. title match than Pat Tanaka wearing a mask. Uh, and that's no offense to Pat Tanaka; I loved him in the Orient Express, you know, five years earlier. But this just wasn't it. Uh, right. He he wasn't up to it. And we see some replays from the match, and Dusty puts over Conan. Then we get sent backstage with Mijin, who's in the locker room with the Steiner. Mm-hmm. And one line I made me laugh was me and Jenny and Sue were talking about Regal being a little pissy than a little prissy. You know that. Is- I hate. I hated this promo. Okay, tell us why you hated that promo. Because it is out of 1955 with gay slurs and talking about him being prissy and drinking tea and how they are 
I thought this was complete oh. bullshit, and it made me really mad at Sting. Prissy was a oh, Prissy's a gay slur. Well, it's like uh, Prissy is being like, yeah, like light in the loafers. Okay, I did not realize that that's what the, what the term was. So well, it's like not being a man's man. Okay, then we might as well just kick it to the next match then. Sting, come on in if you would. Coming up, uh, we know the background between you and Lord Steven Regal. This guy, to me, kind of comes off as somewhat of a, a sissy or a prissy, but we know better than that. Uh, looks are deceiving, and his actions are a little deceiving. This man could be one mean son of a gun, as they say. You're trying to stir it up a little bit, aren't you, Mean Gene? You don't have to stir the stinger up when you say he's a little prissy. I, to be honest with you, i got to wonder myself, because he's talking about the stinger painting up nice and pretty. Well, your lordship, you also drink tea like this, don't you? That little pinky out like that. I gotta wonder about you myself. Is that the way they breed the boys over there in England? Let me just square something up with you right now. That ain't the way we breed American men here in the United States. And that's exactly where you are on U.S. turf, U.S. soil. You can take... God, I can't say that. I just can't say that. Mean Gene, we're on TV. You take it for one second. Well, I'd just like to point out one thing. This, this man has uh, wrestled, actually, as a, as a youngster in the sand pits of India. We know what he's done here at World Championship Wrestling. I think you've got your work cut out for you, quite honestly. I'm not taking anything away from him. I'm not saying he's not a fantastic wrestler. I'm just saying... He's a little iffy. I'm not too sure about him. And if there's anybody that can straighten you out in the course of 10, 20, maybe 30 minutes, it's a stinger, I guarantee you. Maybe I was a little too strong when I said he's kind of a, a prissy. Well, Yeah, I, I didn't like that at all. I wrote, I'm glad that this is over <laughs> when it was done. Uh, so this next match is for the Lord of the Ring. Diamond Dallas Page taking on Marcus Bagwell. You're right on. And I had to take note of DDP's ugly tights for this match, Mr. Beverly Hills. I thought they were a lot better than his on Nitro, though. It was silver tights with a neon pink belt trim. Right, <laughs> right. I just don't remember ever seeing... Silver tights on any wrestler before. And <laughs> it's true. And for good reason. <laughs> yeah, because at least I thought DDP's tights, the silver tights looked ugly, but that's just my opinion. Oh, they, they weren't good. I thought they were a little, le- little less harmful on my eyes than the ones Fair from enough. Nitro. <laughs> so DDP got the mic and dissed the local sports hero. So do you take note on who you dissed? Yeah, Carl Ripken. His name's actually Cal Ripken. Okay. He goes, Those Baltimore bimbos are going to get a load of DDP and they'll forget all about Carl Ripken. Okay, who is this Carl, Carl Ripken dude? Cal Ripken uh, is... Oh, sad. Oh, dirty dog in the bubble. Uh, he, he is the all-time leader for consecutive games played. He played... Uh, Got over a thousand, and I'm even, I know I'm shortchanging him, but over a thousand games in a row without ever taking a break. So impressive. Yes, they call him the Iron Man. See, yeah, DP ran down to the ring with no music. Are you sure Marcus Bagwell? Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, Bagwell ran down to the ring with no music, and DDP rolled rolled out of the ring right away 
attack Bagel from behind. Yeah. I'll kick it to you to continue on with the match. Sure. This was kind of an, there was an interesting setup for this match. Did you catch that? No. That one of the American males would be facing uh, DDP and the American males didn't want to like get an argument over it. So they flipped a coin and Bagwell won. So that's why, that is why he is facing uh, off against DDP for the battle bowl ring instead of uh, his partner, Scotty Riggs. I think that we would have, we got a better match from Bagwell than we did from Riggs against DDP. I, I would, I would assume so. I mean, Bagwell's no great shakes, but he's always, he's always been better than, uh, than Riggs, I'd say. So, um, you know, our, uh, initially here, we got Bagwell kind of in control, both on the outside, and then he throws him over the rail <laughs> into the fans and pulls him back into the into the ring. Uh, DDP is able to cut him off, and and uh, but he's hit by a crossbody. Um, Bagwell's knee knees his arms, <laughs> DDP's arms a lot. He's really working on some on the arm, hint, rocking a standing arm bar, uh, regular arm bar. Uh, he hits a big shot right to DDP's face, and D loses, DDP loses his gum, and Dusty goes, he's doing the hully gully. <laughs> and I have to interrupt Mr. Beverly Hills, because uh, I know they were talking a lot about, I think on Nitros with both DDP and how when he won the Battle Bowl ring, he was supposed to get the first WCW title shot. Okay. Yep. And how he was broke, and he had a beneficiary, benefactor, benefactor. And uh, during this match, it came to me. Okay. Do you think it was Lux Luger that gave DDP all that money for Luger getting DDP's title shot? I could. I could see that. That could have worked. Yeah, because I was thinking about that, and I thought in a few pro. Promos. I think on one of the promos on the Nitros we reviewed the last few weeks that me and Gene even mentioned that to Lex Luger that hey, like DDP was supposed to be the next title shot and Luger just blew it off. So the, yeah. so it's kind of you know, the notes are kind of mentioning that yeah, DDP was you know was broke and yeah, some mysterious person gave DDP a buttload of money and, and all that and he was supposed to be the title shot but passed it up. To me, it made sense that you know I I don't know. Don't know if the, that's what they wanted the fans to try to draw the con, draw the those conclusions in, during 1996, but that's why I got here in 2015. Man, I kind of like that. See, the the thing with the NWO is that you know it was obviously a great angle, but at the same time, it really kind of took all the all the developing storylines and threw them out the door. Oh, you know, and. Uh, you know, for for better or for worse, some of them probably needed to. Some of them were kind of developing and were just kind of forgotten about, like this DDP mysterious benefactor uh, one. But yeah, like I said, I I thought about that. I was going through my notes, and so I took took note of that, and I had to throw that out there to get your thoughts about that. Yeah, that one's kind of cool. I like that idea actually. So I might as well, yeah, I'd like to kick it back to you to finish up the match. Sweet. So, um. Bagel's going to go up top here, but DDP crotches him, and uh, Dusty goes, that'll make you sing like a canary. <laughs> and uh, Dusty, that, and this is like one of my favorite Dusty digressions from all night. He goes, Tony, 
Do you think anybody ever does that at home with a clothesline? Do you think they ever go up to the top and jump onto the clothesline to see what it's like? And Tony's like, no, Dusty, I, I don't think anyone would ever do that at home. And he's like, are you sure, Tony? Come on, you don't think anybody's ever jumped on a clothesline? <laughs> Me- meanwhile, DDP is choking uh, Bagwell here while Dusty's talking about uh, hurting your nuts on a clothesline, but but whatever. Um, I, I have to ask, whose chemistry do you like more so far, Tony Schiavone's and Dusty Rhodes or Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse Ventura's? Well, I mean, Gorilla and Jesse are an all-time favorite, that, or an all-time classic. I don't think you'd ever beat them. That's that's like that's not even fair to Dusty and Tony. Like, no one's gonna beat Gorilla and Jesse. Jesse. Come on. Okay, how about I'll change that up. How about McMahon and Jesse? I, I can't. I I don't know. Okay, I suggest that last sense. It seemed like that Ventura likes to rip apart his play-by-play man a lot, and and all that, and it's like Dusty trying to have fun with his. His play-by-play man and his play-by-play man really ain't playing along with them. For sure. Yep. So DDP's working this abdominal stretch. He's got his hand on the ropes. Randy Anderson and super ref Randy Anderson eventually uh, kicks his hand off, which allows Bagel to do a hip toss. Bagel hits a, both a regular and an inverted atomic drop. And DDP's um, cell job is very, very cartoonish with that comic draw. Oh, yeah, for sure, definitely. Uh, Bagwell hits a slingshot clothesline for two, and he throws a Hurricane Rana, which I thought was very impressive. Uh, Bagwell's trying, he's celebrating, and Dusty is just not happy with his celebration. He tries for a fisherman suplex, but DDP hits him in the gut and gets the diamond cutter out of nowhere for the one, two, three. Yeah, then second once DDP hit the diamond cutter, the I noticed uh, some of the crowd was clapping and Dusty put over the finisher. Yeah, so, right. The winner is Diamond Dallas Page. I read this match, Mister Beverly Hills, Dave Meltzer's famous dud. This one you went dead, huh? Yes. I went two and a half stars on this one. It's about time we go back to our traditional <laughs> ratings, Beverly Hills. Yeah, I thought this was a pretty good match. Why didn't you like it? I had a tough time getting getting into it. But that that's just how so? How so? It, I guess to me, it's like that. Just you know, nineteen ninety six uh, DDP and Bagwell. I just had a tough time connecting with them and getting into their when they each guy had the advantage in the, during the match, and I just had a tough time just believing what they tried. If that okay. makes any sense. Not really, but I get yeah. it. Well, to me, I just had a tough time getting into it. it. To me, it felt slow and boring. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. It, it, you're right that it didn't really reach second gear. I, w- I would agree with you on that one. Okay. I would agree. Then we were told that Mike Tenet will join the announcers for the next match. Yes, he will. Then we go backstage again with me and Gene, and he's in the locker room with Jimmy Hart, baby, and the WCW World Heavyweight Champion, The Giant. Yes, who's oiling himself up, which is kind of gross. To, I think I know it might be just me, but I thought for this promo, it looked like they were in front of a green screen. I, I didn't take note. Okay. Then uh, Mijin asked about uh, Jimmy Hart about his relationship with Luger. Okay. And Jimmy Hart said that he isn't worried about it. He's with the World Heavyweight Champion. That's all that matters. Yeah, he goes, everyone is worried, but Jimmy Hart is worried. Then the giant... 
started to whisper for a while, and I had a tough time figuring out what he was saying. Then he started to yell, and I was gonna, I was gonna yell because I don't want to blow your guys' eardrums or anything. But he started to yell about he's like the one true giant, and he yeah. went off the list on who he beat, and he will choke Sam Luger later on tonight. Yeah, he said this is now this is verbatim. He starts. He goes. The only torture that's going to happen if Luger is going to put me in the rack, he is mistaken. And I'm like, that didn't answer. What is the only torture? I don't understand. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then he just like went in. He's like, I beat Hogan. I'm like, oh, okay, all right, whatever. What's the true? What's the true torture? But he also said, you don't have a brain, Luger. You should have lifted weights before getting in the ring with me. I guess their true torture, Beverly Hills, is the torture you're trying to wrap your brain around, trying to figure out what the giant was referring to. I think the true torture is most giant matches in 1996. Hart, the man who's going to be defending this coveted WCW heavyweight title later tonight against Lex Luger, the giant, also joining us. But I think the 64000 or million-dollar question in 1996... Jimmy Hart, where do your affections lie? You're kind of the man in the middle. We know about your association with the Giant, but what about Lex Luger? Well, you know me, Gene. Everybody wants to know, you know, what's up between Jimmy Hart and Lex Luger? Sting's worried about it. The Taskmaster's been worried about it. But, you know, Jimmy Hart's not worried about it. <laughs> I wouldn't trust you as far as I could throw you. On the other hand, Giant, you've got to look forward to a title defense in this great city. They're hanging from the rafters out here at the Baltimore Arena. But tonight, other things on your mind, Lex Luger and the torture rack. Well, the only torture that's going to really happen tonight, and I want you to listen very closely, Lex, if you think that you're going to come out there in that ring and put the greatest world heavyweight champion of all time in the rack, you're sadly mistaken. I am the giant, the one true immortal. The man has beaten Hulk Hogan, beaten Randy Savage, beaten Sting, your buddy, thrown you through a table, done everything and anything and wherever I wanted to do it. The Rock is a pure fantasy for you. You want reality? You want torture? The choke slam is all that you're going to know. You know, John, I want to point out for the record, that may be Mr. Luger's incentive. He vividly recalls your choke slamming him down through that table. One of the one of the most despicable things I've ever seen happen. Well, it's a good thing that underneath all those muscles, Lex actually has a brain. But it's not a very big one, because obviously he's in the ring with me. Lex, you should have lifted a few more weights before you decided to step in the ring with me. All right, the giant title defense tonight here at the Great American Bash. Ladies and gentlemen, it is an extraordinary evening. Right now, let's get you back up to the ring. Fair enough. So we'll get into the next match. For for the first half the, of this card, Mr. Beverly Hills, I have to open up my Dr. Pepper vanilla float. Okay. For the WCW Cruiserweight Championship, it's the challenger, Rey Mysterio, taking on the champion, Dean Malenko. Yeah. And, and uh, Tony, yeah, during, this, during the entrances, Tony Giovanni called Mike today a pro wrestling insider. <laughs> I want, sure. I want to get your thoughts on terms like that, Mr. Beverly Hills. 
uh, I think they're fine. I don't. I'm not sure where you're going with this. One, I don't know. I guess. What's so, your thoughts on them? It's okay. So I guess, especially in '96, it put over that Mike Tanay had some uh, knowledge on the sport, especially cruiserweight, uh, the cruiserweight division, and all that. And people were interested more on Mike Tanay. They would have had to go out and find out more on his thoughts and all that. Well, Mike Tanay's a pro wrestling insider. Let's figure out. Let's go and check out his thoughts and all that fun stuff. So I just want to get your get your thoughts about that since Shivani called him yeah, a pro wrestling insider. I'm confused. Uh, whatever. You know how you know how I am. I pick out some random things and I go along with it. <laughs> uh, Dean, Dean is known as a man of a thousand holds and the yes, Iceman. Yes, he is. I very enjoyed the nickname the Iceman since Malenko has few facial expressions. Yeah, I think it's a, it is a good way to twist the fact that he is uh, his personality is about as boring as it can get. Then something that isn't boring is Mysterio's attire, and he's wearing a hot pink. <laughs> yes, he is. Very interesting. And, and uh, yeah, Malenko's his say one thousand on the butt. And before we get it, before I kick it to you for the review of the match, Mike today's voice you can tell was super young. It's not like he was going through puberty or was <laughs> just about to go through puberty. It was definitely a lot younger sounding than it is now. I would agree with you. I'll kick it to you to talk about the match, Mister Beverly Hills. All right, so they start out. They shake. They shake hands, and then they start with uh, arm holds early. Um, both of them are working uh, some wrist locks. Um, they they get to the point where they've both knocked each other down. They do a double kip up, which I really love that spot. I always have. Um, while Dean is working a a chin lock, Dusty says that he has vice grip, gri- a vice grip like hands, like Danny Hodge. No, no, I thought you were going to go for a. Uh... Another another line, I think, is right around this time when the MSG was being grounded. Dusty said, if you can't fly, you can't win. <laughs> sure. Then, yeah, today, then, right around this time, then spews out some knowledge about being a pro wrestling insider, telling us that Mysterio was only 21 at the Great American Bash 1996, and he started training at the age of 14. Mm-hmm. And that just boggles my mind that you and I are in our upper 20s, pushing 30, and just see, go, looking back and seeing that Mysterio accomplished a hell of a lot when he was, you know, like six or seven years younger than what we are now. Yeah, that's true. I thought it was really funny how whenever Tanay would try to talk about, like, the impressiveness of Rey Mysterio, Tony would always try to, like, throw out a WCW reference and they all sounded so lame. Like <laughs> he's today's like, yeah, you, you know, he started training when he was 14 and, uh, Shivani's like, you all, you know, here in WCW, we have Alex Wright who started training when he was 15. And it's like, yeah, yep. And Alex Wright is just as good as Rey Mysterio <laughs> too. And there was another one later where, he was taught, or he was just dropped a really lame one where you could tell he's like, I'm an insider too, guys. <laughs> like, it's not just a, my today. That's but. funny. And I did, did want to ask that, it's like, uh, that Malenko was working on the elbow of Mysterio. Okay. And to me, that stunned me because I don't ever recall seeing anybody 
work an elbow in a wrestling match? Well, you know, Malenko, for his shortcomings in the personality, was an awesome wrestler. And uh, his arm work in this match was truly amazing and very tremendous. He was doing a great job. Um, You know, this was a long match, and it featured a very long control segment, but I never found myself bored because Malenko kept switching it up. Yeah, same here that I, if I, while well, I say I love this match, I appreciated the pacing that whenever Mysterio had the advantage, he quickened it up, got the fans into it, then once Dean grabbed Prince one body part and pulled Mysterio to the mat, he had the advantage, he slowed the pace down, and I and it showed off his technical moves and submission holds and, and all that. And kind of, in fact, the, this match was a great roller coaster of, of a match, uh, having the fans' interest and, and all that. And yeah, they were great peaks and valleys. They were very cognizant of your guy, Vinny Verheyen's favorite, the, the Ricky Steamboat rule. Yeah. You know, of never letting it go too long before Mysterio got a shot in. And just like you said, you know, uh, Malenko works on Ray's elbow for a while, but then when he threw him to the floor, he missed a baseball slide. Or he was working on, um, you know, his arm. He was working over his shoulder, he was kneed on the mat, but Ray walks the ropes and hits a drop kick, you know, just to get get everything, get the, get the crowd into it for a brief second and then let them down. Yeah. Uh, during this match, I, I noted that there was a man in the front row wearing a crown, <laughs> and, and I said, he is a king. He, he was a king. Yeah, um, talk about different things. I didn't note that that Mike Tenay mentioned that if Mysterio won the Cruiserweight title at the Great American Bash in 1996, AAA would hold half of the singles titles in WCW. Yep. And both Tony and Dusty approached at the same time said, good point. <laughs> <laughs> that, made me, that made me laugh. Like, they were both pretty serious and pretty quiet, you know, somber about it. They are like, good point. <laughs> it, it just made me laugh. <laughs> then, then, I know I did, did know, too, that Tenay pointed out there was blood on... Malenko's knee, and I, uh, when he was had a like off looking armbar on. Do you know where this blood came from? No. Okay, wanted to ask because I didn't catch that either. So, uh, Malenko reversed a hurricane run into a lariat, and he went for a pin. And the King thought that the match was going to be over, but he did not. It was not over. Um, during this. Uh, during this part, they mentioned that Eddie Guerrero won the Super J tournament on Thursday night in Japan, which is a big deal. And Guerrero was over huge in Japan at this time. Um, and I mean, that's a really good thing to like work if you're WCW. You know, talk about how big your guys are overseas. Um, you know, and all that. And that that you know, as much as we give kind of crap to Eric Bischoff, that was one of his best points was, you know, really um, working those contacts overseas yeah, and, and and across the borders. Yeah, to, to mention that, you know, that gives guys, you know, that gives the wrestlers 
a break for the American fans that, you know, like Eddie Guerrero or Chris Benoit, who haven't seen much on Nitro lately. You know, it gives us a break from them to get us refreshed on them to want to see them more and at the same time let them keep working and go work in Japan and Mexico to learn a different style to bring that back to America. And it seemed like you didn't agree with me when I was saying that Beverly Hills. <laughs> I don't... I don't think these are the guys that we need a break yeah, from. Yeah, but at least it, <laughs> I, I think it gives. I think it's more like it gives them work when they're not being used. Yeah, here I guess that too. And I guess it. I guess in ways it makes me appreciate. Okay, we see uh, Eddie Guerrero. We see a Crispin Wall. That's okay. I'm pre. Oh, I haven't seen them in a few weeks. I am excited to finally see them in a match here on Nitro or a pay per view. I. I want to see more of them. And I think it does a good job of like. It, showing you that while maybe you don't see Eddie Guerrero a ton on Nitro, but he is impressive. He is winning tournaments. He is, you know, something to be marveled at. And I did mention that at times this week when when Malenko had submissions on, the fans weren't really into the match. I they were quite kind of waiting to see how Mystery was going to get out of it. But I mentioned... Like I said earlier, I love matches like this. I think the I think it was just one of those things where um I don't know where they were just kind of watching it. Like more of like a Japanese crowd event. Fair where they're now. just kind of letting things happen. Um so yeah. Here's Dean starts working some kind of some hammerlock moves. He does a hammerlock back suplex. Uh, earlier in the match, he did a hammerlock body slam. Um, he did a hammerlock overhead suplex, yeah, which I I really thought looked awesome. And the King also thought that this was going to be the end of the match. He got out of his feet even. Yeah, I know. Or, read, uh, read about this time that that um, Malenko put on a Mexican surfboard and transi- transitioned it into a German suplex pin attempt. Mm-hmm. I just I liked seeing chain wrestling like that and. Uh, Submission holds into awesome-looking pin attempts that you don't put two and two together like that. Yep. Um, Dusty suggested that Ray should bite him or maybe pinch him <laughs> to get to get out of get out of these holds. Um, Malenko he hit a back suplex, but still he just gets two. At this point, the people did start to chant "boring," and I wrote. You are stupid, Baltimore. <laughs> because this is certainly not boring. Did you take note of Dean having uh, some kind of a chicken wing armbar on? Uh, yeah. Well, I wrote. I don't know. Maybe. Okay, because <laughs> I guess I was just curious, and if you knew the the that name of that maneuver, but I don't know. Let's just um, say chicken wing armbar. Yeah. So he hit a butterfly suplex. Um, Ray was able to get free from him. Um. And he, he fell out of the ropes, though, and he hit a cameraman. Uh, Ray hit a, hit a baseball slide, a basement drop kick, and a springboard flip splash. And a springboard drop kick for two, and I kind of thought it was done there. Okay, because I think right around this time, I kind of got excited. Mysterio hit uh, what would be known in the WWE as a West Coast pop. He would jump, you know, from the apron, jump on the top rope. A then springboard ball- hurricane ride. Yeah, a springboard hurricane ride a pin, so. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, then Ray went up top again, uh, Dean tried to go up and stop him, but, uh, Mysterio hit a Hurricane Rana and got him down, uh, Ray with another attempted Hurricane Rana, 
and he hit a power bomb that looked amazing. Put his fin, put his feet on the ropes, and got the three. So the winner is Dean Malenko. And I read this match from Beverly Hills. Not one, not two, but not three. Four stars. I also rated it four stars. Because so far on, so far up to this, up up to this part of the pay per view, this was definitely the match of the night. And then followed matches are gonna have a one hard, one hard uh, feat to follow. Yeah, definitely. And I thought even I would have been willing to go higher on this if the arm had played a role in the finish. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, then it seemed like the the fans were on their feet after the pin attempt and were applauding. Plotting the super search when the referee gave Dean Malenko the title, which one thing I appreciated. Mm-hmm. Then uh, we saw some replays of the match, and Tony thanked Mike Tenay for coming out for the match. And we got it sent back to Mean Gene, who was with Luger, who was mm-hmm. holding the television title over one of his waist, I guess wearing the tag title around his waist, or had the TV title over the shoulder, the tag belt around his waist, and to me, Mr. Beverly Hills, it matters. Okay. So Luger, Luger seemed pretty somber during this interview with Mr. Beverly Hills. His mind is somewhere else. And Mean Gene said it's he in said the ring. That. Yeah, it's in the ring. Then, uh, He's Lug- focused, man. He's focused. Luger said that the Giant changed WCW forever when he showed up. And saying that, you know, because he, you know, now the WCW champion, champion's a lot bigger and all that. And Luger said that if the Giant thinks he's invisible... Invincible. He, invincible. He's not invisible. He's invincible. When John thinks he's invincible, and when he does, he'll make mistakes, and Luger will capitalize on it. That will work in my favor. I thought that was a solid promo. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed seeing a different side of Lux Luger being very somber and all that. Sure, but it, at least like it had a role. Like it wasn't just him being bored, which I think sometimes he comes across as being. Speaking of WCW heavyweight champions, he has his eye on the man who stands seven foot four, four hundred and seventy some odd pounds tonight. It's you and the Giant for all of the marbles. You know, Gene, I'll be honest with you. WCW requests this interview out of respect to them and respect to you. I'm here physically, but mentally, Gene. My mind's a million miles away. You're in the ring. It's on the ring, and it's on the giant. I'm not going to stand here and shout and scream and tell you what I'm going to do to the giant when I get to that ring, because I will say this. The giant has changed the face of World Championship Wrestling forever. A force, a man of his size and strength, a man with that finishing maneuver, has never, ever been in this great sport of ours, a sport I'm proud to be in, a sport I've had the great fortune to be a world champion here in World Championship Wrestling, to be a four-time U.S. heavyweight champion, and to be currently the world television champion, and currently the world tag team champion. I take great pride in that. A lot, a lot of pride. Giant, I am going to say one thing to you. You think you're invincible. That could be what works in my favor because a man thinks he's invincible that's when he makes mistakes because you're a human being giant you're going to make mistakes and Gene I plan on capitalizing on each and every one of them I've got a belt around my waist I've got a belt on this shoulder when I leave that ring God be willing I want a belt on this shoulder 
I'm going to have a belt after all of this is over with. Right now, let's get you back up to the ring. True. Then we kick it to our next match, the special grunge match. Grudge match. Special it's grudge. Nothing, it has nothing to do with Kurt Cobain. Special grudge. Nothing to do with Pearl, Pearl Jam. Special, a grudge match. Special grunge match. Grudge match. Grunge match. No, grudge match. Grudge match. Yes. Okay, with Big Bubba, with Jimmy Hart, baby, against John Tenta. Yes. Yep. And Big Bubba walks out in a black trench coat, a black shirt, and black leather pants. This is quite the outfit for then, Big Bubba. Then Tenta came out with no theme song, and he Correct. he seemed pretty serious on his way out out to the ring. Behind, it was funny though. Behind him was the footage of his hair getting cut. Oh, I laughed because I thought you were going to say I noticed a little girl walking out after him. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome. Oh, I was. Ho- I thought you laughed because I thought you noticed that too. Because that you only saw her for maybe a second or two when he. She was kind- on the ramp. Where was she? Yeah, kind of like on the ramp, kind of walk- walking out after him. So <laughs> then the camera push. They move the camera so we can always see him. Like, what the hell? I know who this little girl is. I did not see the little girl. That's funny. Now I'll kick it to you on, <laughs> on, awesome. on the match. That's awesome. <laughs> so, uh, so Bubba goes up to the top rope at the beginning for some reason. Intent to hits him off of it. And uh, then he chases Jimmy outside. He throws Bubba into the steps. He's He's hot, man. Uh, he works on Bubba with some shots. He throws him into the corner and butt bumps him. Um, Bubba pulls something out of his trunks, and he hits Tenta with it. Um, but Tenta kicks out. Uh, after he he gets up to his feet, Bubba hits an enzigiri, which I thought looked awesome. And I'm like, oh, jeez, good job, Bubba. Um, Bubba did the the classic. Uh, oh, the boss-slide punch combo? Yep, yeah. First the the jump on him and then back and then slide through and punch him, yep. Uh, he's, <laughs> in the words of Tony, gouging, poking, scratching Tenta while he's on the mat. <laughs> uh, he rams Tenta's knee against the post. He yeah. chokes him. Go ahead. I have to interject because Tony... And Dusty had a moment just like we did at the beginning of the match, but what Dusty couldn't say, garment. <laughs> he couldn't say dormant. Dor- no, he could. He, no, he couldn't say garment. 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 Yes. Because, <laughs> yeah, they were, yeah, I had to write that down. Like, I couldn't figure out what Dusty was saying either. And, it made me laugh that we had our own little Dusty Tony moment at the beginning of the match. Yes, because he said that uh, Bubba was trying to choke him with a garment. <laughs> and, he, and he could not say garment. Oh, Dusty Rhodes. You're the greatest commentator ever. Uh, you are You are the modern day Dusty Rhodes. Yes. Um, I will call with my hands then. <laughs> garment. So uh, Bubba had a really big... A nice looking side suplex. Um, he went up top, but Tenta catches him in a power slam. And it's done right there. So the winner is John Tenta, who is a man. Now, ready this match, Mr. Beverly Hills, one half of a star. 
Um, so let me just, I'll say the last thing that I'll tell, say my rating. So Jimmy came in with the, it was actually a really funny setup because Jimmy gets up on the uh, ring apron while he thinks that uh, uh, Bubba's going to win. So he gets in the ring thinking that Bubba has won, but uh, he has in fact lost. So he has the scissors, Tenta grabs him and he cuts Bubba's beard. And I rated the match two stars, and I rated the beard the beard cutting and Bubba selling it five stars. Yes, Bubba was crazy. Yeah, he held held his chin. He's like, he cut it, he cut it. He's like, he cut my beard. That was great. That uh, I thought even though was, I don't even know if he got anything. Yeah, I, was saying, saying, I didn't but see that's anything. That's why Bubba was doing such a good job. I I rated this only a half a star because of like the fans weren't into it until the match was over, and like I said with the post match antics. I feel like that's what the fans were only into, so I feel like this match would have been better if they could have shortened it a little bit. In my sure. opinion. Sure, sure. Then, uh, see, after telling, oh yeah, so after the match, the, John Tinted told the cameraman that he ain't done with Bubba until, yep. when he, until he says he is. Then right. we go backstage with me and Gene for another interview. Yep. He's back there with uh, Mongo McMichael, Deborah, Kevin Green, and his wife, Tara? Tara? That sounds right. I yeah. didn't. I didn't catch your name. Okay, then. Uh, then, uh, then Mongo said so that he doesn't care about the game plans. He's there to get Flair and Anderson. Yep. Then Kevin Green was uh, yelling and screaming. He said, "Watch it's out! Goal line! Watch baby. out! Watch out! We're coming hard!" Yep. And he kept saying "baby." He said "baby" probably like ten times. Then Macho Man came in, and he, yeah. and I took note that the smell of winning is in the air. <laughs> We're at a goal line stand. We're knocking everybody back. You're in the huddle, and this is the winning team. What was? I'll let you take a swig of your soda. What was Macho Man's attire? Because I, I was said he wasn't the flannel and the purple or the green and uh, pink uh, tights. It was just like his normal match attire. Which I'm said they wasn't like anything. Out, I guess he was outrageous since he was like <laughs> ne- neon colors and all that. Yeah, well, it's it's just you're conditioned to Macho's outrageousness. Fair, fair <laughs> you're, enough. You're you're like, uh, I don't know what the word is. Yeah, you're you're just like conditioned to his normal outrageousness. I agree with Soul. The Macho Man Randy Savage outside of this locker room. He is pacing up and down like a cat. He has been reinstated. The World Championship Wrestling. We'll see him tomorrow night on Nitro. Joining me at this time, Deborah and Steve McMichael, Terry and Kevin Green. Tonight, these two gentlemen are going to be facing Arn Anderson and, of course, his partner, the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, who has really stirred the pot. They're going to be coached tonight by none other than Bobby the Brain Heat and Steve McMichael. Very quickly, the game plan. We know about game plans. I don't care about a game plan, Gene. Baby, I don't care if the roof comes off this building. Flair, Anderson, we're coming to get you, baby. All right, Kevin Green. All I know, baby, is this like goal line, baby. It's short yardage. I'm coming hard. I'm coming heavy. We're not giving up an inch, baby. Watch out. We're coming hard. All right, uh, Kevin, a football great. Here's the madman that really has been behind a lot of what's happening the macho man Randy Savage, Bobby Heenan, scared to death by your presence. The smell of winning is in the air, and a little perfume, too. We're going to do a goal line stand, and then we're going to knock Nature Boy in and then force 
Hunter into the end zone. These guys right here, Kevin Green and Steve McMichael. These guys are psyched to the max. Are you psyched to the max? Hey, psych, brother. Baby, I'm with you, Daddy. Right now, me and Gene Oakland, you're in a huddle, and this is the winning team. Am I right or am I right? Talk to me. Am I right? Let's go. Let's go right now. All right, uh, they're head out the door. They're leaving me in the locker room. Terry and Deborah McMichael, Kevin, Kevin Green, Steve McBeck. I'm still getting a lot of chin music there for the Macho Man, Randy Savage. They're going to be facing Flair Anderson, Remember Woman, and Elizabeth. They're not the nicest ladies in the world. They've been known to have a trick or two up their sleeve or elsewhere. Right now, let's get you back up to the ring. Let's take a quick break for we can stretch our legs and do what we need to, and we'll be right back for the second half of the Great American Bash, 1996. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, Dirty Sullivan. We have the WCW Championship and made it to Stan Studios with the, the giant. We got everything going for us. You don't need to be concerned with the Hogsman Day. Manly heart. Quit with your concerns. I respect the horseman. And I don't want the slime bomb and wah. In with Flair and Anderson. Nor do I want him in any event status radio. I gotta get rid of that slime bomb and wah. And once I do, I'll be ready to get rid of Hulk Hogan. The only way to get rid of the serpent is to crush the egg. Mouth of the hills, Beverly Hot. <laughs> Stu, brother. Ooh, would it be a sin when I fall in love with you? We are back here. The Great American Bash Podcast, Tournament Event Status Radio. I am finally out of the Dungeon of Doom, so sorry about those uh, loud uh, hammer-ins and such for the first part. People, oh, God. People were working on on the apartment that the Dirty Dog lives in, and we were, when we were on break, I looked outside, and they were finally gone. I'm happy, Mr. Hills. Oh, gosh, good. So I'm, I, really, I'm really happy about that. So I apologize if that came through the recording rather... Loudly, They're just, bad. just like that firework. I, I thought that was, I thought that was a saw. So, we are here for the files count anywhere match with Chris Benoit and Kevin Sullivan. Yes, oh, I'm excited. I hated Benoit's WCW WWE Network theme song. Okay, I, I didn't take note. Okay, Sullivan seemed like he hurried on his way back to the ring. He power walk. Who? Sullivan, Sullivan. Paul Potter walked. Yeah, he was like running out. Yeah. Okay, then, uh, then, yeah, Benoit. He's from the Iron Gates of Fate. And Benoit met Sullivan in the Iowa, and it was pretty dark, so we couldn't see anything. And I'll kick it to you for the match, Mr. Beverly Hills. Yeah, so he started in the aisle back and forth. Um, I wrote that I like <laughs> Sullivan's skullet ponytail. It's just like kind of funny, like I'll tie back into a little ponytail in the back. Um, so Sullivan threw Benoit, uh, into the crowd and off we go. He drags him up the steps. Um, they're into the middle level 
and they go right into the men's room. Which, and Tony cannot handle it, and neither can Dusty. Yes, Dusty was yell, you know, yelling, oh, they're in the bathroom. They're in the bathroom, Tony. He goes, because there are people in there, right? So Benoit is getting slammed into the, the stall door, and uh, Dusty goes, Tony, then I'll teach you to go to the bathroom during the matches. <laughs> And Tony was very scared that um, someone was going to get pinned near the commode. <laughs> yes. And uh, Dusty's like, in the john, if you will. And, and he's like, "If you, you talk about the outhouse. I want to ask Mr. Beverly Hills, did you feel uncomfortable seeing Sullivan slam the bathroom doll store under Benoit's head? No, not really. I guess I felt a little bit uncomfortable just because of what would happen few years later with Benoit with his concussion issues. Uh, you know, to be honest, I thought these looked pretty safe. It's pretty clear he got his arm up. Fair enough. Okay, well, I guess I wasn't paying that close attention, but... Yeah. When I guess after the first one, I kind of looked, not fully looked, I kind of, I looked away just because, yeah, just because I was looking at other things on the screen because I didn't want to continue seeing that, but that's just sure, me, fair though. Enough. Fair enough. Um, oh, Sullivan did hit his... Foot stomp on the bed while on the bathroom floor, and I, I thought <laughs> Mr. Beverly Hills will no sell this. <laughs> I, in fact, I did. I didn't even notice that he was going to put him in the urinal, though. And yes. Benoit fought back and, and chopped him against the stall. And here is where Dusty was at his best. There's a lady in the, the man's bathroom. Cry, you said it. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, there's a woman in the men's bathroom. What, their lady here to John? He was, he's like, oh my God, get the lady out of the bathroom. Why is she in the men's bathroom? <laughs> he could not handle it. So Taskmaster, he, he pulled, he opened this little like service door and they're like, uh, <laughs> Tony, Tony was wondering if it was like a secret crawl space. <laughs> and uh, Dusty's like, maybe that gets you up onto the roof. And uh, But alas, it was just like where they kept the, kept the supplies. And Taskmaster grabbed out a bag of toilet paper rolls and he hit Benoit with it. Uh, then he hit him with the garbage can. And then Benoit hit Sullivan with the garbage can. I took note that when, when uh, they were leaving the bathroom and all that, going to the hallway, Sullivan almost slipped on the trash. Okay. Going on. It just made, it, that just made me laugh seeing him almost slip and fall. Sure, and Dusty was like, go across the street into the women's bathroom! <laughs> I want to see what's in there! Dusty would. I love, I want to see what's in there. Um, they're, they're trading some big shots, and now we're kind of back in the arena. Uh, Sullivan pushes Benoit down the stairs a couple times. Dusty goes, there's bad intention in these two guys' eyeballs. <laughs> uh, yeah, now Sullivan threw Benoit down the stairs again. Then he came and he stomped on his nuts. Yeah. And Tony goes, happy Father's Day. Then Dusty said, it may have been a little blow. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed at that. Like, I had to take Dusty's line of bolt that it may have, may have been a low blow. <laughs> yeah. So once they get down to the ringside area... Uh, Benoit tries to get a table. He struggles with it, but he eventually gets it. He sets it up kind of normal ways in the corner. Um, Sullivan reverses a whip and throws Benoit into it, and it doesn't break. 
Uh, Sullivan runs and misses Benoit. He goes into it and it doesn't break. Uh, so Benoit takes it and puts it on the top rope. He tosses Sullivan up onto it. He goes up there. He superplexes Sullivan off the top of the table. And he gets the pin. Dean, Dean, Dean. The winner is Chris Benoit. And I think I may rate this match a little high, but my initial rating for this match was three and a half stars. I went three and three quarters. Okay, I guess I'll keep it at that. <laughs> but I guess I I rated that because the fans were super into the match. Some of the lines during this match from Dusty Rhodes were some of the most famous lines of Dusty's color coming, commentating career. And I just felt like that superplexed off the table, off the top rope was could have could have ended wrong, and since the table seemed pretty slippery, and the guys you know, were walking through trash, through soda, throughout the arena, their <laughs> boots were, you know, clunked with crap and all that, and so it could have ended wrong, but it ended, the superplex finish ended rather smoothly, and yeah, I read this match three and a half stars. Right. Yeah, I went three and a quarters, I just thought it was a really fun, wild brawl. And then after the bell... Benoit went over and slapped uh, Sullivan a few times, and Jimmy Hart ran up the aisle with. Then Arn Anderson came down and pulled Benoit off. They started mm-hmm. to kick Sullivan in the ribs. And both well, it, well the, you, you make it seem like he kicked him right away. No, there was definitely a beat where it looked as if he was going to continue his friendship with Sullivan and attack Benoit. Okay. But then he yeah. comes and he kicks Sullivan. And both, horse, yeah, both horsemen put the boots to Sullivan. And the Dungeon of Doom ran down to save Sullivan, and the horseman then ran away, and Anderson raised Benoit's arm. I felt like that was an awesome moment. Yeah, when they when Anderson revealed that he was with Benoit, the crowd went insane. Just absolutely nuts. Yeah. Uh, it, when the Dungeon of Doom came down, I was surprised that Max was in the Dungeon of Doom. Well, I was not here. aware of that. Well, especially that how Jimmy Hart had some kind of a... Tie-in with Lux Luger. Lux Luger fought Max for the TV title a few weeks ago on Nitro. Yeah, I I think that tie-in with Lux Luger is pretty loose. Yeah. Then Tony sends it backstage to Mean Gene, who's with Liz and a woman. And then Art Anderson came in. Then Flair, too. Then then Anderson welcomed Benoit uh, into the screen. I think it was Anderson that said, there are wannabes... And then there, are, then there are horsemen. This man earned the right. The head of the snake got cut off. Benoit earned his stripes. Now we are truly at war. Then Benoit, Benoit said that Sullivan was served and don't mess with the horsemen. Yep. Put Sullivan in his place. Then Flair said that, made some football references. I didn't take note. But Look at our all-pro tackle. Look. And our all-pro linebacker. Look at the girls. Look at the mind behind it. And yeah, if that's the only thing that Flair really said, which I was surprised at. Yeah, then well, you don't need to talk a lot to get your point across. Flair enough. Fair, uh, flair enough. Uh, then, <laughs> and then Bobby came in and talked a little bit, and so I wrote down that he sold, that he was scared. Yes, yep. Do you take any, any other notes about that promo? Not about that one, nope. Tony, I gotta be honest with you, I don't think I've seen anything like that 
And I'm not too certain I've seen any, well, I've maybe a couple of times. Woman and Elizabeth joining me, Arn Anderson coming in from the ring. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, once again, yeah. the horsemen back together, apparently. Chris Benoit, step in here. What's this all? Yeah, there's been wannabes. Righteousness. Thought they were horsemen. They're out of here. There's people that dreamed and had aspirations of being able to do this. This man earned the right. What you just saw was the head of the snake being severed. You have tried to poison the most elite fighting unit in the history of all professional sports. Somebody today earned their stripes. His name is Chris Benoit. Sullivan, Taskmaster, whatever you want to call yourself. Now we are truly at war. Bring on the troops because if you look around, we are loaded for bear. Very quickly, Chris Benoit. Sullivan, you have been served. I warned you, don't mess with the horsemen. You didn't listen. Tonight, I put you in your place, Sullivan, once and for all. Thank you. Chris Benoit, apparently reunited with the rest of the horsemen, Arn Anderson. Football players, you want a visual aid? You just got it. Rick Rick Flair. I just saw two all pros in here with their women decked to the hilt. Now I wonder what they're thinking. McMichael, look at our all-pro defensive tackle. Look at our all-pro linebacker, Kevin Green. Look at the girls. And look at the mind behind us. Woo! Bobby, the brain Heenan, Coach, Coach Heenan. That's what they're calling you now back here. I got a lot of things I'd like to call you. You've insinuated to the people out there and the savage and everybody else that I'm terrified, that I'm scared to death, and I'm shaking. Take a look Do at I, yourself. I have looked at myself. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm a man, and I know, I know what I'm talking about. My feet are on the ground, and my head's right here. Now, you're trying to put something into his mind to do something to me, and it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen to me. All right. A lot of things Thank you, that I'm... Macho Man would like to do that he can't do anymore. Right, Liz? Woo! Macho, Green, McMichael, the horsemen are in town. Woo! Thank you very much, gentlemen. Horsemen back together again. Woo! Ladies, please. This is being one of the Let's get back to the ring. Okay, then we get the next next match, which we were told is a one-fall Special attraction match <laughs> with Lord Steven Regal with Jeeves take on. Are you sure they call it a special attraction match? I noted that they call it a special challenge match. Must be a special challenge match, but either way, it's a special match. <laughs> True. Lord Steven Regal take on Man Called Stain. Man Called Stain. Man Called Stain. <laughs> Then the fans pop uh, when they hear the opening beats of Steen's music, and so did I. And I love seeing Steen wear his tag team title belt to the ring. Then cool. the, the bell rings, and Beverly Hills will kick it off with the match. All right, man. So Sting takes Regal to the outside, and he goes to work on him. Um... Before you know, throwing him, throwing him off, and and Regal turns the tide with some eye pokes, some punches, an uppercut. Uh, but back in the ring, Sting's firmly in control. He's got some, some straight, some strikes and a suplex. Dusty goes, "We're dancing in the streets." 
<laughs> uh, Tony's talking about where everybody comes from uh, to to watch this. He'd say, you know, everybody from the Delmarva Peninsula, from all across the South, from Pennsylvania, and Dusty goes, there even people here from Gotham. Gotham City, if you will. <laughs> and, oh, Dusty. Uh, and as that's happening, uh, <laughs> Sting, Sting and Regal both get back in the uh, the ring, and uh, Sting gyrates at Regal, and Regal gets super scared about it. I, uh, I, I, like he is very scared. I would be, too. <laughs> so, um, at this point, <laughs> Dusty goes, Tony, why are you sitting so close to me? <laughs> you are, you're sitting so close to me up here. And Tony goes, well, I don't know. But I've been sitting here the whole time. Why have you not said anything? He's like, I just noticed now. Why are you sitting so close to me? <laughs> and they, they, don't, they don't resolve this. So I don't know if Tony moved away or Dusty moved uh, away or if it, they just were may, okay with being so close. It may have been a Stan police reference. Oh, oh the one of the famous songs is Don't yeah, Stand don't so, close so Close to Me. I think you're giving Dusty a little too much credit, but I mean, if that was what it was, that's pretty cool. Maybe Dusty doesn't want Tony to sit so close to him. Yeah, maybe. maybe. <laughs> Mr. Beverly Hills, why are you sitting so close to me? <laughs> I wish I was closer to you. Same here. <laughs> um, okay. See you... Yeah, Regal, they, they're doing a lot of kind of like test of strength stuff. They got their both their hands locked. Regal powers Sting down, um, but Sting is able to power up, push him all the way to the mat. Uh, but Regal kick, kips up, does a Cobra clutch and a palm strike to the face, and then we get my favorite, Regal dancing. And uh, I think right <laughs> on the time when Regal was dancing, the fans were chanting, We want Sting! We want Sting! <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> we want Sting indeed. <laughs> um, okay, so Regal had a full Nelson on Sting, who's able to roll him up, but um he you know he keeps he's able to keep control of this kind of weird half Nelson clutch type of deal uh that I wasn't you know really sure about what it was. Um Let's see. And then I noted that Sting countered by bump, butt bumping Regal. <laughs> really, butt bumping? Well, that's why that's why I took notes. So. Oh, okay, whatever. Cool. I just I see it was some kind of unique counter by Sting. Huh. All right, rock on. Um. Yeah. Regal hit a drop kick, some forearms, some elbows to the head. Um, a lot of control here from the Lord. Um, armbar, uh, head scissor, um, Dusty calls Jeeves chive, and, <laughs> and it made me laugh. <laughs> um, I think right around this time, Tony questions where the blue bloods are at. Okay, yes, yep, he does do that. Okay, um... Yeah, so Regal's working a standing armbar. Um, Sting tries to make a comeback, but Regal hits a, an eye gouge to him. Uh, Dusty is saying that Sting is in definite pain, blues, and agony right now. 
Yes. <laughs> uh, Sting hit a hit a really good looking drop kick, a clothesline, uh, and he went for two, but he pulled him up. Which is simply bloody silly. Yep. He went to the top rope, but Regal stopped him. Did kind of a side suplex, kind of tiger suplex type deal off the top rope. Um, Regal hooked up an STF, and I thought this was pretty lame because Sting was just like laying there. Yeah, and the I, the, uh, I think it was Tony that said that call it, call it the Regal stretch, but yeah. like you said, the Sting was motionless, and Regal just let go and kind of get in the you know after the ref for not ending the match. Like, dude, if you or peeled at the ref, I don't just keep the hold on and yell at the ref about it. Yeah, it was, well, yeah, I don't know. But that, so, that's just that's just me being kind of nit, nitpicky, though. <laughs> sure. So I, I, yeah, I was like, come on, Sting, like, get your, get your shit together here, man. <laughs> um, so, lots of punches in the corner here, but Sting kind of, Hulks up and fires back. I know we talked about this before, but what should be the proper way of us calling a Hulk up by Stan? A, a sting up? I like that. That's what I wrote. I, I wrote to him, Stan started to sting back. Okay. But sting up, I like that. <laughs> Whatever, man. I don't care. Anyway, yeah, he started to punch Regal back and get out of the corner. Yep. He hit the stinger splash, but Regal got the knees up. But Sting came right back and got the Scorpion on, and uh, he got the, the submission. Yeah, that, yeah. when Rico had his knees up, Rico went for him. Yeah, Sting back, body dropped, and then slapped on the Scorpion and picked up the submission victory. Winner is Sting. I ready this match with Beverly Hills. Three and a half stars. I won three and a quarters. Okay, because I, I felt I really enjoyed, I guess, the ending sequence of yeah, the Stinger splash with, being countered with the knees. Regal going out for him, thinking he had him. Then, yeah, Sting back body dropped him and was just set up for the Scorpion Deathlock. So mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed the last second or two sequence. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought this match was really good uh, in general. Then we got a commercial for good the stuff. Then we got a commercial for the Great American, no, for the Bash Beach, Beach, which I yep. guess is in like three weeks. Yep. Which I was surprised to hear about that. Sure, they're coming quick. Then Mr. Beverly Hills. In honor of Dusty Rhodes, okay, I have to open up my Dusty Rhodes main event status. <laughs> Mellow yellow, Daddy, for this next <laughs> grunge match. No, gr- grudge. Grunge. 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 No N. No N. No N. Grunge. Whatever. So if take team special attraction match between Ric Flair and Arn Anderson with Liz, Woman, and Bobby Heenan taking on Kevin Green and Steve McMichael with Deborah, Tara Green, and Randy Savage. Yes. I was excited to hear Michael Buffer introduce the two teams. Okay, I was too. I, I in fact wrote, I bet you loved the Buffer promo. And guess what? So did I. <laughs> I wanted to ask, you know, well, send, or mention that. You know, Flair and Anderson came out first. We went out with the ladies, and after they came to the ring, Bobby got introduced. I got chills seeing Bobby Heenan come out to Flair's theme song. I <laughs> got goosebumps up and down my arms, up and down my back. It was chilling, but awesome at the same time seeing 
Bob, yeah, hearing, seeing hearing Bobby come out to Flair's theme song, give me flashbacks to 92, 93 WWF when Bobby Heenan was Rick Flair's manager. Sure. Yeah, I I actually got chills when the football players were coming out. But that, that's understandable. So yeah, <laughs> I'll let you talk about the football players coming out because I didn't take any note about that. Um, as usual. Well, I, it's because I it sounded like they were coming out to all my rowdy friends, which is the uh, Monday Night Football theme song, uh, and I really like that song. So that was that was that's what got me jazzed up. I'm sure um, WWE probably had to change it up for the network if they did actually come out to that. Uh, maybe, yeah, that's actually a good good bet, good call, man. So what, Anderson and Mongo start out the match. Well, I just wrote. I come on, Pepe's back. Oh, Pepe. Um, and I wrote, the wives are hot. No lie. Yes, I both both Mongo and Kevin Greens. Oh yeah, Dabra and Tara. And yeah. uh, let's just say I. That's why I also had a crackle open the middle yellow because Liz woman I mentioned last week on the podcast looks stunning on, on the Nitro Go Home edition of the podcast <laughs> yeah. and. Add on with Deborah and Tara Green. Good <laughs> God. Mr. Beverly Hills, I am happy you're married because that means I have that many more women for me. <laughs> so thank you, brother. Oh my God. <laughs> Man, Goldstein. Man, Goldstein. Oh my gosh! Wow, uh, yeah. So Macho came out, Coach Macho, uh, and as Macho's coming out, they show this guy in the audience that's oh, just dressed like macho. macho, and like Tony is like, "Whoa!" He like can't. He's like, "Oh my gosh!" I've seen that that Macho look like like during the Star Spangled Banner uh, intro at the start of the pay per view. So I've seen that guy at least once before the once before the pay per view. Well, Tony loved it. <laughs> I loved it too. That guy looked pretty good, you know, pretty close macho, and especially yeah. the, especially the beard looked pretty close too. <laughs> yeah, it did. <laughs> oh man, man called Sting. Yeah. So the football players did kind of like a cool warm up thing where they were like slapping hands, then they did like the the face plant, and then they get up and do hot feet. I thought it was really cool, and. Green's, did you catch what it said on the back of Kevin Green's shirt? No. Mean green sack machine in the ring. That's funny. <coughs> Bless you. <coughs> Bless you. So, yes, as you said, Mongo and Arn start. They trade arm twists, and Anderson does a leg sweep. Um, Tony is doing some kind of heavy-handed uh, foreshadowing here. Did you catch the heavy-handed foreshadowing? No. Oh, he was talking about, about it. He was talking about when Mongo signed to play with the Green Bay Packers. He's he like, signed for a lot of money. Well, he's like, how could, you know, I asked him how he could do it with, the, you know, the biggest rival of his team. And he said, they gave me the most money. So that was, uh, he's setting it up for later. So keep that in mind, folks. Very um, interesting. <laughs> uh, Mongo, he hit a shoulder block, and the crowd went nuts for that. Um, 
Anderson was able to take over with stomps and a head ram, but Mongo came back with a flying shoulder tackle. And here's where I had to ask, who at this point is better? First match, Mongo Michael or LT Lawrence Taylor? I felt like both were pretty decent. Uh, I guess probably for the start, probably I'd go with LT, but I'm sure my opinion might change later on with this match. Okay. I, I would say Mongo, but I don't hate for for you saying uh, LT. I guess I'd just say LT because it was a singles match, and he, this is all on him compared to Mongo when he had a tag team partner. Sure. But, you know, but Ric Flair and Adam Anderson was probably the best two guys to put in with Kevin Green and Steve McMichael. Yeah. Compared to, you know, with LT, with Bam Bam, Bam Bam was probably the best singles guy he could go up against who was free. Right. Sure. But, yeah. Um, mm, so, Flair, uh, he had some punches on, or no, shoot, I'm too far down. So, Green, Green got in, and uh, they stomped on arm, uh, that Green gets in, he sees his first actually takes his shirt off, Mean Green Sack Machine. Um, he's like doing football drills. and Which I pop for, I'll admit that. <laughs> in response to the football drills, Flair struts. <laughs> and it makes me so happy. That's Flair's, that's Flair's football drills. Yes. Like he he gets down, he does like push ups, and Flair just starts di- strutting around. And I'm like, oh my god, Flair's the best. He Flair is number one. Um, <laughs> so Anderson's afraid of Mongo. He won't tag in. <laughs> Flair got got knocked out, and Macho chased him all the way up the ramp. That was great. Yep. Um, Flair is trying to chop and punch Mongo, but Mongo, it doesn't phase him, and he hits chops of his own. Hip toss, a backdrop. He threw Flair off the top rope. Um, Dusty keeps want, he keeps telling him to do a football move. Get down your three-point stance. Pretend that he is John Elway. <laughs> <laughs> so Mongo got, as, as he got the advantage, he put the figure four on Flair. Kevin Green came in and put the figure four on Anderson. Um, at this point, the horsemen women chase the wife women away all the way to the back of the, the stage, up into the backstage area. Um, uh, then Arn and Flair both got, you know, a, a control segment on Mongo. Uh, Heenan kicked Mongo on the outside, then ran away. <laughs> yeah, because Randy Savage came over. Uh-huh. Flair low-blowed him. He hit a knee drop. Anderson comes in and stomps Mongo's belly. <laughs> <laughs> they hit a double suplex, a double chokehold. Um, a long control segment by the horseman. I think this is, a, this is a good time for me to ask you this. Now, knowing what we know that happens later in the match. Okay, spoiler alert, Mongo turns. What is your thoughts on these matches that have a turn coming later in them? I was where, I was waiting let me for... Finish. Okay, I'm sorry. Sorry. Where the, where the heels beat on the guy who's going to turn. I was waiting for Mongo to turn anytime and all that. I... I was thinking, like, early in the like beginning of the part to the middle of the match, especially in the figure four spot, why don't you just turn, dude? Yeah. Like, why are you going through all this punishment unless this is your way of 
being initiated into the horsemen, like you gotta get, mm. take your butt beating from the two leaders. So I understand that. Well, but I guess I guess I get that. I guess when it's not looking, at it, I guess that's probably Flair and and my, Flair and Anderson saying, "Okay, you gotta go, you gotta take our punishment from us to be initiated into the horsemen before yeah. you before you do what you do." Right, that's a good thought. The so, only other thing I thought was like, if he is just turned at that very end where like he sees the money. Like, I don't, the, the announcers didn't really play that. Like he just saw this big thing of money and he's turned, like I was wondering through the whole thing, like, is he already secretly a horseman or does he get turned by the money? I don't know. Maybe we'll see on next week's nitro. Yeah. Then one thing, you know, right on this time, I took note that Macho Man was starting to piss me off by being an apron <laughs> like a drum. It kept on beating, 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 beating it. Like, Macho, call. I put my note that, yeah, Macho beat the apron like a drum and is pissing me off. Calm down, Macho. That's really surprising to me because, like, you base your ratings on how much the crowd gets into it while Macho's trying to get the crowd into it. But just just how loud Macho is, I guess the, how he was beating it, it was kind of hard for the crowd to really clap to the quick beat, so I, that was agitating me because of that. Fair enough. So Green got in on a hot tag. He hit two low tackles on the horseman, two body slams, a back body drop, and a power slam. But Anderson clipped him and goes to work on the knee. He's he's working a spinning toe hold. Green pushes him off, kicks him in the butt. Uh, Flair's going for a figure four. Green got a roll up, but what? Flair's able to get it hooked with Anderson's help. Which I I thought that uh, the the quick quick thin out of the figure four looked beautiful. Yep. And at this point, the women are back. But Deborah looks much different than when she left. Yeah, she she looks stunning in that orangish dress. Yes, I'm 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 mush mouth. I'm just that, that excited. She's wearing like a sherbet evening gown, and uh, she has a halibut in it. And uh, inside of it, what's inside the halibut? Some money. But above the money was a horseman shirt. Yes, it is. Yes. Good call. But, but before that, uh, the flare had a figure four on in the corner, and it was using Anderson as leverage, and that pissed Mouchman off, so he ran over and get after <laughs> Anderson, which brought out Benoit. Yeah. So I had to mention that, but yeah, then fast forward a little bit, then yeah, yeah, the ladies came out and all that. Yeah, Mongo jumped to the floor, opened it, saw the orphan shirt he just put it in the corner, and looked at the money, kind of pulled out a wad, kind of checked it and all that. Then, he took one piece. He took a bill out and looked at it, then, held it up to make it real. Because at that time, then Kevin Green was able to turn to turn the figure four over and kind of crawl over to the corner, asking Mongo, "Like, what? What are you doing? What are you doing?" And then Mongo shut the briefcase and boop, hit him right hit him over the face. head. <laughs> then, uh, then Flair crawled over, craw, 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 uh, yeah, crawled over, slept. You know, kind of laid an arm over. One, two, three. The horsemen are the winner, Mr. Beverly Hills. Yes, and as Dusty said, now we got four horsemen. I am kind of nervous to see, nervous to compare my rating to this match to yours, Mr. Beverly Hills. Well, I haven't. I for some reason I didn't rate this yet. Um, I rated this match for no, no, no. 
Oh, you rated it four stars? Four and a four stars. Just because right, the Tell Indian, me why. Just because the ending, I loved the, the approach, yeah, like I said, you know, with uh, when Flair stopped on the figure four using Anderson as leverage that brought Macho over, brought Benoit over and all that. Then, you know, then Green encountered the figure form, the turn by Mongo, then what we'll see after the bell. Uh, just a four horseman beat down is why I rated this match so high. You know, like I said, I probably overrated this match. Okay, how do you rate this match, Mr. Brett? Two Harris? stars. Okay, how about this? I'll lower my rating. No, to don't lower it. No, okay. that's your rating. I'll leave that that. I'll leave that that. I, th- I rated that match because I felt like. Anderson and Flair brought out a decent match out of Green and Mago and probably the best two guys. If they're going to do a take team, that could bring out a good match out of those two. That's why I rated it so high. Sure. I'm looking up the Meltzer rating. Okay, when, when you do that... Talk about... Yeah, talk okay, about the next... Savage ran in and tried to attack Flair. Then Mago came in, pulled off Savage, and they kind of looked at each other. Then, then Anderson, Benoit, and Flair came over, and all four men attacked Savage. Bobby joined them in the ring. Then, you know, that after they got done attacking Savage, Mongo put on the horseman shirt. Flair and Mongo shake hands. Then I had to ask, why wasn't Bobby Heenan, the manager of the horseman back then, kind of filling in the JJ spot? I think he just wanted to keep doing announcing. Fair enough. I guess he, I, you know, the last few Nitros, I enjoyed hearing Bobby as an announcer. I would rather have Bobby on. Well, for a full two, yeah, full two hours, so not at least an hour instead of having Larry Zabisco for two hours. Yeah, I agree. So did you find Dave Meltzer's rating? Yes. What did Higher you than mine, lower than yours. Three and a half. Okay, so I guess that'll be about roughly average to what ours would be then. Yeah. So, Remember when we thought that we rated the Benoit Sullivan match high? Yeah. He rated it four stars. Did he? Yeah. Yes, yeah, so you. Let me scroll up on my notes. What? What, to see what I rated it again. Do, 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 I think you went three, three, and, three and a half. Three, three and a half. I yeah. went three and stars, I think. And he's, you said he went four? Yeah, he went four. Okay. I guess I'm surprised that, yeah, okay. <laughs> then we see some replays in 20th Century to Eric Bischoff, who's on the stage, by one of the big trons. Mm-hmm. Bischoff talked about the interruptions on Nitro the last three weeks. Bischoff said he has an answer for the invaders. <laughs> and Holland Nash, instead of coming out in between the middle of the two Trons, just came out from on the sides. Whatever. Yeah. No big deal. No, that makes sense because they shouldn't be in the locker room. Fair enough, yeah. So they came, No, like they're they're not there. So they came over, and then Bischoff said that you know he had an answer for them, but first he has to ask them some questions. And and Bischoff said that, you know, he that he did secure a match for them. It'll be at the great uh, be at the Bash of the Beach in Daytona. Yep. And Bishop asked God Hall, "Do you work for the WWF?" Well, he's like, "I got, I have some questions for you before you say your answer." Yeah. Then yeah, yeah then you know, Hall said, "No, don't worry about the past. Worry about the future." Mm-hmm. And Bishop asked, "Where the who, who are the th- third man?" Then, you know, then turned to Kevin Nash and asked if he works for the WWF, then what happens, Mr. Beverly Hills? Well, he says the big, he's, well, you've skipped over some stuff. I'm sorry. So, so Hall wants to know who the three men are. Is it the Nacho Man? Is it the Immortal Huckster? 
<laughs> and he says, the big mang and the medium-sized mang are going to carve you up. Which was beautiful there, then. Then uh, Bischoff turned to big, sexy Kevin Nash and asked him, if he works for the WWF, then what happens? Yep, Hall uh, needed him in the belly. Then uh, Nash picked him up, jackknifed him right through the side of the stage. Which I thought looked pr- pretty good in all that sense. I thought I remember hearing uh, interviews from Kevin Nash uh, years later saying that he he had to approach Chur mid mid hard bomb to make sure Bischoff landed through the table instead of just jackknifing him right on the middle stage. And I felt like you really couldn't tell that in the tell that through the while watching it. Sure. Then uh, after the power bomb, uh, Hall grabbed the mic and said, "The big boys just left the building." <laughs> and they walked yeah, out. Yeah, he said they're the real big boys and they just left the building. Yeah. yeah then there's some EMTs that came over, checked on Bischoff and Tony and Dusty were standing at their booth, and you could tell they were shaken up by it. Then Tony yeah. took his headset off and went over to uh, check on checking Bischoff and. Dusty said, that's uncalled for. And yep, he says, there's plenty of guys ready. He says, I'm old, but I'm ready to go to war. Yeah, cause I, I was just going to say, it seemed like Dusty Rose was kind of was kind of buying, possibly a, a shot up against the outsiders. Sure, he was kind of presenting himself that way. Then, uh, Dusty, then, then Dusty did say that what Mongo did, you know, was uncalled for. Then, yep. sent, then sent it to Dave Pencer. <laughs> Which I thought was kind of silly since yeah. Dave Penzer didn't introduce. Well, the, he changed it. You know, he he changed himself. He goes, Michael Buffer. I'm sorry, I'm shaking up. Let's go to Eric Bischoff right now. Eric, can you believe this? Thanks, guys. Incredible turn of events, to say the very least. Well, many of you know that for the last several weeks, since uh, May 27th, as a matter of fact, we've had a number of, let's just call them interruptions, on Nitro. I know, I know, I know. And if you were with us last week, I pointed out that tonight, these guys want an answer. We're prepared, right, sir? They know who they are. I know they're here. Come on out, guys. everybody go to wall here at WCW let's do it good answer that's what you're here for but we've got some questions we've got to resolve before we do all that right off the bat I want to let you know right here right now I was in the WCW offices debated you want a match you want a war you want it inside of the ring you're going to get it into the trap, big man. Okay. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I got some couple considerations here. Before we go a whole lot further, I will tell you it'll be at Bash at the Beach, July 7th, in Daytona. I'm free. I'm but free. before we go any further, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before we go any further, let's clear one thing up. Do you work for the WWF? No. 
about it. No. Forget about the past, Chico. Let's worry about the future. We want to know who your three guys are. Is it, is it the uh, Nacho Man? I don't think so. And what about, what about the immortal Huckster? You know, you tell billionaire Ted to break out the money and get anybody you can because the big man and the medium-sized man and our surprise buddy are gonna carve them up. I want to ask you a question right now. He's had his say. Who are they, man? Who are they? Come I on. can't tell you. I'll tell you tomorrow night on Nitro. That's the deal. You can't tell us? You don't jack us around, don't jack Oh, for Christ! Whoa! What are they doing? Security! Get up there right now! For, oh, for... Unbelievable. This is sick. Yeah. Tony, I got it. They I, should think. Hold on. Where'd he at? He's right down below us here. Oh, my God. We're, we're going to need some medical attention right now. Yes. Right now, ladies and gentlemen. Big boys. They just left the building. Hey, get these guys off here. Cut this thing off. Get some, what, what they Can we have on? some medical? This is sick. Eric Bischoff. Of course, the host of Nitro, executive producer, and WC. Please, would someone get over to? Oh, yeah, they're they're on the stretcher. Jesus. Well, they got to be careful with him. I guarantee you. I mean, he's, he's a man holding a microphone for crying out loud. Yeah. How cheap and how low can you get? Well. And now Chuck Tashe is coming out. Well, they wanted to make a statement. I guarantee you they did. Unbelievable here at WCW. Eric Bischoff down. Fans, I, I can tell you that as we take a look at Eric, and certainly we will hopefully find out. We The last thing Eric said, that we will let them know about the war and who they will have to face tomorrow night on Nitro. And we're not so sure about Eric's. I don't know what to say. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what to say. This this thing here now has escalated, if you know what I'm talking about, Tony Giovanni, into a real war situation. That's uncalled for. That's unbelievable. All right, All right I'm going to go down there. Are you? Sure. Okay. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Tony's going down there right now. Eric Bischoff. I'll tell you what. Where the big boys play at WCW, so much has been said about our situation. People coming and people going. But coming in here with Eric Bischoff, like him or not, bottom line, right here, and driving him off the stage into a table. That's uncalled for. So they wanted a wall. They talk about, let's have a wall. You get three guys, we get three guys. Well, I'm an old man, guys. Let me tell you something. The bottom line in this situation here, there are plenty of guys at WCW that will be ready for this wall right here. What a scene we have seen here at the Great American Bash. And the thing with McMichaels... And the horseman, I'm telling you what, let's go to the ring, David Pender. Yeah, then uh, the, for the next match is the main event of the pay-per-view for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship, Lex Luger 
the WCW television champion and co-holder of the WCW tag team titles, take on the giant, obviously the WCW champion with Jimmy Hart. So yeah, when Luger came down, he went over to check on Bischoff, and you can see Tony kind of standing a little bit away, kind of watching everybody to see how, you know, make sure, kind of watch Bischoff, see if he, he could offer his services to help out. Then, yeah, then Luger came, walked onto the ring, and Luger seemed kind of bothered by what, what happened. Then Tony came back during the Giants' entrance, and Tony mentioned that he had neck surgery before and wanted to make sure Bischoff's spine was okay. Okay. Then after the Giant came in, then Michael Buffer did the ring introduction when both guys were in, which I very, very, very well enjoyed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, these early Michael Buffer introductions are good. Once we get into, like, 2000, the Michael Buffer introductions are ridiculous. And they paid him an insane amount of money to come do it. Yeah. Then Nick Patrick is a referee. All right. Ready to go? Match is broken loose. Yeah, I'm ready. You ready? All right. The world title match as we go to Michael Buffer for the main event of this wild bash. Ladies and gentlemen, here at the great... American Bash. This is the featured match of the evening for the WCW Heavyweight Championship of the World. Sanctioned by the WCW Board of Directors and the Maryland State Athletic Commission. When the bell rings, the man in charge of the action, your referee, Nick Patrick. And now, with the thousands in attendance here at the arena, and the millions watching around the world on television from Baltimore, Maryland. Introducing first, wearing black and weighing 264 and one quarter pounds from Chicago, Illinois. He is a former four-time U.S. champion, the current world tag team champion, and reigning world television champion, ladies and gentlemen, introducing the challenger, former heavyweight champion of the world, Lex And his opponent across the ring, a member of the Dungeon of Doom, 7 feet 4, 455 and one half pounds, and he's managed by the mouth of the South, the infamous Jimmy Hart. Ladies and gentlemen, presenting the most feared man on the planet Earth, the WCW Heavyweight Champion of the World, the John the heavyweight champion of the world, flanked by Jimmy Hart. Long story in this one. Luger many times tried to get to Nitro to face the Giant, but because of travel conflicts, could not. When he finally made the match, chokeslam, devastated through a table. Kind of reminiscent of what we just saw with Eric Bischoff yeah, going to the platform here. It you is know? very hard to get focused back in this situation. Luger affected by it as we all have been. Stretch it out, Eric Bischoff. <laughs> Okay. 
And she then, yeah, then we hear the sound of the bell, and I'll let you talk about the match. All right, so Luger attacked at first, but Giant put his head up, put his foot up, and kicked him a couple times. Uh, Luger fired back with three clotheslines, but Giant landed on his feet outside of the ring, and uh, he press press slammed Luger back into it. Uh, the really the story of the match is Luger's given Giant everything, but he can't get him off his feet. Uh, lots of punches and kicks. Um, he got up on his back and he locked in a sleeper. And it looks like Jimmy Hart's gonna hit him with the mega megaphone. Um, but Steen who comes Ke- down and stops him? Steen came down and chased Jimmy out of the arena. Yep. Then just oh, oh, I was gonna say a giant was gonna counter the sleeper hole, but you have something before that. Yeah, Dusty says that he wants to fight everyone. He says. There's a fight in the air, and I don't care if it's those two guys or anybody. I want to fight somebody. Go dirty, dusty roads. <laughs> yep. Yeah, Giant was able to counter and rammed uh, Luger into the turnbuckle, then put him in the trio wall. Yep. I took note that it's like the uh, people in the arena could care less about this match, and I was just curious if it was just because of what we saw before this match. Yeah. Yes, clearly. Yes. Yep. Then, uh, yep. that, I mean, that's a that's a huge event that just happened. Yeah, yeah, they're definitely let down, and and I mean that's fine. I this, I think this is the perfect match to put out there because it's not uh, gonna be it's, great. Exactly. Yep. Just just throw it out there. It was a good. I think it was a good match to put to put forth when you have this enormous kind of undertaking happening on the undercard. Um, yeah, I'll kick it back to you then. Yep, so Giant Giant was in control. He was working a backbreaker first on his knee, then on his shoulder. Then he stood on Luger's back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Giant draped Luger over the ropes and was hitting him with some forearms. Then uh, uh, I took note Dusty mentioned, Luger has no offense, none at all. <laughs> it's true. Uh, but he mi- Giant missed a charge in the ropes. And Luger responded with a drop kick that backed him up, a corner clothesline, a regular clothesline, some forearms, a chalk block, and another one. And Giant was down to one knee, but Giant fired back. Giant missed a stinger splash. Luger hit some big kicks in his gut. Luger signaled because so then yeah, the Giant was on it was someone yep. laying uh, laying on the top rope, kind of like what when he missed the stinger splash, yeah, kind of yeah. like what Shawn Michaels or Eddie Guerrero used to do, kind of lay on the top rope, kind of pose and taunt in the his opponents, <laughs> but kind of like that, but just face face down. Yes, uh-huh. kind of like the table, kind of like the table spot in the false count anywhere match exactly. earlier exactly as if Giant was the table. Yes. <laughs> so, uh. Luger got underneath him. He got him up for the rack, but Giant kind of started boogieing on top of him and made him fall, and he crushed Luger's face. Yes. And then you can take the finish. Giant taunted for the chokeslam, hit it, scored the pinfall victory. Ding, ding, ding. The winner (laughs) is the Giant still are reigning and defending World Championship Wrestling's World Heavyweight Champion. I'm sure I probably ready this match high again too, Mr. Beverly Hills, but I rated this match one and one half star. Oh, you didn't rate it high. I rated it two stars. I you know, like I've said before, the fans were totally drenched after the Bischoff Jackknife Powerbomb spot. You know, those two guys gave the best match that they could, but since it's the giant and he was fairly green at this moment and it's Luger, you know, mm-hmm. depending on who he's in with he 
you know, especially with, you know, he, depending on who Luger's in the ring with, he could either rise up or go down towards whatever the guy's level is since it's the giant, the match sucked. Sure. But I, I thought it was, I thought it was a fine enough match. Uh, yeah, the crowd was drained, but I thought it was a fine enough match. And especially, you know, that we were having such, you know, good, high star matches for the middle of the card and, and all that. Yeah. And we got the jackknife spot to Bischoff, so I understand the crowd was just, Wiped out and tired from everything that you've said before. Well, that's your classic WCW. That is true. You yeah. have and I don't, um, yeah, go the, ahead. the great undercards and then the kind of crappy main event. I remember you mentioned, I think right when we started the Death of WCW book series, that you wanted to you know, do this series because it showed the the highs and lows of WCW, right. you know, with the invasion and the great undercards and, you know, for the great and the crap, you know, with the, this kind of main event on the pay-per-view. Right. Then uh, Tony tells us that someone will give the Outsiders their opponents tomorrow night on Nitro. Yep. And sends us off for the pay-per-view. Yes. And always, I think, uh, WCW pay-per-views are so weird that they have credits. Yes, yeah. Do you want to talk about that before we... Take Not really. I'm just... They yeah. just have credits, and they have, like, executive producers and stuff. It's very strange. Okay. We will also take our final break for the podcast. We'll be right back with our jobber and our main event set of star. Next. Let's do it. Okay, I can hit the record button, and we're back here for our review of WCW Great American Bash 1996. And I'm here with Joe Drillon and Eric Allen of What a Maneuver. Uh, guys, what... How, what was the influence of WCW Monday Nitro going two hours in May of 96? Um, I, rem- I remember that. <laughs> um, it, was, it ruined uh, my life. Yeah, well, at least it wasn't. Until WCW was... went three hours, and then it really, like, my life just was ruined all over again. Yeah, right, exactly. No, two hours was fine. I don't know that it had a, ma- a major, I mean, it, it, made, it made WWE go to two hours. It was probably the biggest impact it had, but it wasn't. It wasn't terrible. When they went three hours, that was a huge mistake. How impactful Definitely. was, the, I guess, the format that Nitro had going up against Raw for the first few years of Nitro? Um, I mean, it, it's we've talked about this before on our show, but it's sort of like uh, it's that whole thing about competition stimulating a market. Uh, you know, if you want to open a sub shop, you should open it right across the street from another sub shop. Uh, you know, is what they say. So, same idea. You know, put it in the same time slot. And uh, whether wrestling would have gotten where it, where it did at that time, you know, without if if Nitro had been on Wednesday or whatever, we'll never know. But certainly, it it created an an uh, an exciting time and an air of uh, intense competition around. Yeah. It was just it was. Uh... The biggest difference between the shows was just the production values and the fact that Nitro was live. Like when we first started watching um, the end of '95 and early '96, um, like those Raws were really difficult to sit through, even though they were only an hour long because they just pulled like footage from random house shows or they would just show like stuff like that were dark matches on pay per views and stuff. And it was a very disjointed. presentation and wcw despite the fact that their um production values were (laughs) quite a bit behind um wwf's um when wwf did put on live shows like just the fact that 
WCW could present a cohesive product um, in that two hours like made a huge difference in the watchability of the show. Um, it just made everything feel more important and more immediate since it was happening as you were watching it. At the Great American Bash 96, we saw Kevin Green and Mongo McMichael take on Ric Flair and Art Anderson. I guess you guys, <sighs> you guys would be the best people to ask about WCW implementing sports stars into their summer pay-per-views. I guess, yeah, for the Bash 96, what was your guys' thoughts and memories of Kevin Green and Mago McMichael take on Anderson and Flair? It was garbage. <laughs> it was a waste of Arn Anderson and Ric Flair. I was trying to find my notes from the pay-per-view, but... I guess, you know, I just right watched... Right here. Okay, well, well I, I mean, guess... No, why are we talking about this when we could talk about Fire and Ice versus the Steiner Brothers? That was a much better and more interesting match. Well, I guess I felt like, you know, the Flair and Anderson were probably the best two guys to pull out a acceptable match out of Green and McMichael. I mean, that's probably true, but it's still a waste of them, a waste of their talent to have them carry... Kevin yeah. Green and Mongo, and then Mongo turns on Green, and that never is really satisfied, and then or resolved in a satisfactory manner. Well, they would kind of snipe at each other on future nitros and stuff, so, but sort of. Yeah, I don't. I think the most important feud because like Great American Bash '96 is a t- very lackluster pay per view. There's like a Ray Mysterio versus Dean Malenko match, which is super good, um, but. The, the like the second most interesting on thing on that show was the culmination of the uh, John Tenta gets kicked out of the Dungeon of Doom thing where we got the I'm a man, not a shark promo. Right. Um, pretty much everything else in that pay-per-view is just trash. Okay, well, I might as well talk about uh, Scott Hall and Kevin Ash since they appeared at the Great Oh, American man, that's, Bash the match, that's the match that coined the a butt, if you will, to the face. Yes. Right? Yeah, it is. That's what it says in my notes. <laughs> That's my only note for that match. A butt, <laughs> if you will, to the faith. Just like that match probably was. Anyway. I guess, I guess I want to talk to you guys about Scott Hall and Kevin Nash since at that pay-per-view they Jack Knight or Nash Jack Knight Bischoff through the table. And I guess what, how impactful was Scott Hall and Kevin Nash appearing on WCW television and their influence on the Monday Night Wars? Uh, well, I mean, that sort of sparked the whole thing, right? I mean, until they showed up, Nobody really seemed to give a shit. You know, the WCW wasn't doing anything in the ratings. Not that the ratings are a huge... I mean, I think people make more of the ratings than should probably be made of them. But WCW wasn't even really, like, knocking on the door of WWF's ratings or, or, or presence in the cultural awareness or whatever until they showed up in WCW. You know? I guess I'll let you guys do some plugs for the, your guys' podcast. Uh, yeah, we're the, we are the What a Maneuver, uh, mostly weekly wrestling podcast. We uh, go week by week through the Monday Night Wars. We started with the very first episode of uh, Night, Raw Nitro in January of 1996. And we not the been, actual first episodes. Which is not the very episode right, first episodes. Right, the very Nitro first episodes in 1996. Whatever. That Lex Luger at the mall thing. We actually do have we an episode that. where yeah, we, we talk did. about that. Yeah. We spend most of our time talking about the stores in the mall. Yeah, yeah. We were also like sleep. Was at the end of a twenty-four hour stream. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but did you check all that stuff out? That's at uh, whatamaneuver dot. Uh, yeah, whatamaneuver dot on the stick dot com, and and you can find us and follow us on Twitter at what underscore a underscore maneuver. <laughs>
All right, we are back with the most thrilling of thrilling conclusions. Yes, that is Mr. Beverly Hills. I am the Dirty Dog Darcy. And for my job in Mr. Beverly Hills, okay, has to be the mean Kevin Green. <laughs> Just for believing that Mongo was his best friend all this time. And how we, we were getting four shadows, like you said earlier in the match, and on Nitro was at Deborah. So on Nitro, you know, before that, she was been meeting up with Flair and Anderson wanted to talk it out. What do you expect, dummy? <laughs> My jobber in loss, in attire, in performance is Elgato. I cannot disagree <laughs> with you on that fact. Yeah. Yeah, so who's your main eventer? I had to uh, group it with four individuals, Mr. Beverly Hills. Okay. I'm sure that kind of spoils it. My main event status stars had to be the four horsemen, all four Oh, of okay. Them. Sure. I felt like, you know, Benoit, Mago, Flair, and Anderson were, to me, were the true stars of the pay-per-view and made their matches some of the best matches of the nights, kind of like what the horsemen used to do back in the 80s, uh, you know, on uh, where they get placed on the card, trying to one up whoever has to follow them afterwards. Okay. And granted, you know, I rated this match, you know, the tape match, higher than you. I felt like Flair and Anderson brought the best out of Mongo and Green Mongo. I thought they did a good job turning at the end and, you know, doing a four man beatdown with Benoit. Benoit did a decent match, good match out with Sullivan and, and all that. And, and when Benoit ran out for the tape match and helped out the horsemen, I thought it was great. It, sure. At the end of the tag match, I felt like the horsemen were all heels, but during Benoit's match, I felt like they were faces. So they did a okay. good job. Cool. Uh, my main eventer, a future horseman, uh, D. Malenko. Good choice. I like I like that choice. Yeah. If if I couldn't pick him, uh, my I mean, like there was so much there was so much good wrestling that I wouldn't want to do this on this show. But Dusty was was great on this show yeah, too. He he's he's like an honorable mention. Yeah, best for of. almost three hours. Yeah, Dusty, his interactions with, with uh, Tony Schiavone definitely helped helped it out. Yeah, it, it, I, it was good. It was really good. I got a couple quick questions before we do our plugs. All right, man. If you could move things around, where would you place the Outsiders interview? Because, like I said, I felt like it killed the WCW title match. I think it was perfect because I, if it was anywhere else, I think it'd kill the rest of the show. Fair I enough. I would kill one match instead of five. Yeah, fair How about enough. you? I, I guess kind of think about it now and look at our, our ratings for the matches. I agree with you on that. You know, if you're going to kill a match, why not kill a match? Uh, it's a crowd reaction for a match. Why not do it for a match where uh, the carry, uh, the two guys who are giving me the match really can't, aren't going to do a five-star classic? Yeah, you know, I can't get much out of a two stars at best. So, I like that. That's the, the, I guess that would probably be the best spot was right before the main event. And I guess what's your thoughts on how the pay per view was laid out? A match, promo, match, promo, match, etc. Well, I've noted that that's I've noticed that that's how they do Nitro too. I think that's a WCW what they do. So. Okay, because I, I I really enjoyed it. I thought that it helped the paper uh, helped the pay per view out. The promos were couple minutes at, at longest, which I are great. I feel like, I hope, wish it would be cool to see WWE do that. You know, we talked about it multiple times on the podcast before, you know, don't do a 20-minute boring promo, play the strengths of the wrestlers. <laughs> if they can do 
30-second promo like Conan or two-minute horseman promo, do that. You know, that's yeah. something I enjoyed. I guess I want to get your thoughts. Well, I guess you kind of talked about that. Right. I thought in general this uh, show was paced really well. Um, just from the top to the bottom, I didn't think any match really overstayed its welcome too much. Um, yeah, I thought it was paced and laid out uh, quite well. And when do you expect Eric Bischoff back on Nitro? I don't know. I Probably tomorrow. Fair enough. I, I don't know when Bischoff's coming back. We'll oh. see We'll see how he, how long and how well he sells that jackknife off the stage. <laughs> sure. So we might as well do the plug for the podcast, Mr. Beverly Hills. Let's do it, man. You guys can listen to us at our website, maneventstatus.com. Again, that's maneventstatus.com. You guys can listen to us on our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash maneventstatusradio. Again, that's soundcloud.com slash maneventstatusradio. Mr. Beverly Hills, there's a third way you can. The fans can listen to us. What is this third way? I mean, you gotta, you gotta rate, comment, and subscribe to us on iTunes because, oh, because I just got sawed in half. <laughs> um, okay. well, again, can, can, oh my gosh, okay, I'm now can, in quarters. Can, can, continue this. I'm gonna go shut the window. <laughs> oh God, I keep getting sawed, sawed in pieces. Um, because we want to beat. Jim Ross's, Ross's hashtag saucy attitude. We want to do that to Jim Ross's Ross report. We want to sign and have people. And I we apologize want, for that. We want to upgrade the main event status studios so that Dirty Dog Darcy isn't getting sawed in half. Yes, and yes, so we want to move up because we're getting tired of having you know, tanks being driven yes. by Mr. Beverly Hills' office. We're yes. getting tired of construction happening around my office <laughs> and all that. The t- yes, the tanks, you're right. <laughs> so you guys can interact with us on social media. You guys can interact with us on the Twitter. Mr. Beverly Hills, how can they interact with you on the Twitter? Oh, you can interact with me on Twitter at Beverly Hills M-E-S. You can interact with me on the Twitter at Dirty Dog. M-E-S, that's dog as in D-A-W-G, Dirty Dog M-E-S. You guys can also interact with us on Facebook. Like us, subscribe to us, whatever it is, on Facebook, facebook.com slash radio. Again, that's facebook.com slash radio. Mr. Beverly Hills, do you have any other, any other final thoughts, comments, or anything like the such? I don't think so, man. Sounds good. For Mr. Beverly Hills, I am the Dirty Dog Darcy. Stay dashing, mid-eventers. You're in the huddle! That was amazing. They should get, you should get much more time than anyone else. That is our show. Good night, everybody! That's so good. 